Are you ready? This is Moffat on the Mic on the A1 Sports Network. Bow to the masters. Break it down. How you doing, everybody? Welcome to the Moffat on the Mic radio show. We are live on a new platform, Clem. Way to shell out the extra bucks. A1 finally making some money. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> we I really wish we were. I really wish we are, but... Well, we have we have a ticker upgrade. at the bottom, so we've definitely uh, we've caught up to worldwide. So there's that. <laughs> so I am Craig Moffat. Alongside me, as always, is the one and only Chris Klim. And we are now on Streamyard, as this is being uh, live on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Twitch. So definitely check us out. You can comment. Klim uh, will pass along the comments. We have our cool little, uh, you know, ten minute ticker thing at the bottom. So I'm pretty excited about that. And, Clem, we are excited for our, our very special guest will be joining us in about 10 minutes or so. She's been on our show about three times. And we love having fun at Urban Meyer's expense with her. And I have a feeling that we'll be doing it again. She is the co-host of the Helmets and Heels show on Tuesday nights. I think it's 1010XL Jacksonville Jaguars Radio. Of course, I'm talking about the one and only Taylor Dahl. She'll be joining us in a few minutes. And I'm pissed. I had a lot of questions, and I can't find them. I mean, but, but what a better person to start off our new streaming service with than Taylor? Yeah, so that that's it. We are pretty excited. I'm, I really, I like the, I like the new look, man. It looks good, and you know, you did a good job as always. Thank you, thank so, you. So, but we all got a lot to do. But Taylor Dahl's going to join us in about ten minutes. Sorry, I'm getting a little used to the new format, so it's going to take me like at least an episode to get going. But again, as always, you can follow the show on Instagram at Moff on the Mic. You can follow the show on Facebook as well. You can follow Clem and the A1 Sports Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Clem, I had the pleasure of going to the Create a Pro show last week in Limbrook, and my wife and my daughter met Dan House. How was that? How was the show in general? The show was amazing. The show was absolutely incredible. Like these guys just really killed themselves, and it was a lot of fun. VSK dropped the title. I saw that. He dropped the title to Eric James, but he's actually going to be on Impact tonight. He's, he's wrestling Rich Swan, so he might be becoming more of a full-time wrestler for Impact. I'm not really sure, but um, the overall card was good. Congrats to Eric James. He really he killed it. He was a really good. It was just an all-around really good match. Tony Nese looks jacked, but he looks. Oh yeah, he, he 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 was jacked when we were when we were uh, when he was in WWE. He was he is in phenomenal shape. Um, Dan Housen was really good. He was really nice to my daughter. Like, you know, funniest thing about Dan Housen though, is that he's trying to stay in character and I cannot mm-hmm. escape the vibe that he's wearing a wedding. <laughs> so he's trying to stay in like the creepy character and he's funny. Like he talks like that the whole time and stuff and he's really, really nice and everything, but he's wearing a wedding ring. It just killed me. It made me laugh so much. I'm like, I was like, dude, come on, man. You're like, you're not supposed to wear your wedding ring. I was like, Dan Hazen's not married. But that was actually... He's not supposed to be married. (laughs) But I got to meet uh, Ryan Myers. I got to meet um, Dan Hazen. And uh, it was a really, really good show all around. It was a lot of fun. Um, They're going to be back in December with uh, Matt Cardona and uh, Max Caster and uh, uh, another guy. You know, funny enough, the next day, right after you had the uh, event at uh, Creative Pro... 
I was at homecoming for LIU, and who do I see there? Jack. Fellow LIU, LIU student, Jack Tomlinson. I saw him right there in the parking lot. We were talking. I was like, yo, how was the show yesterday? He was like, you know, everything went so well, blah, blah, blah. And he was like. You tell him was I was there? So, yeah, he was there. I, I got to talk to him. We were talking for a little bit. No, I was, I was, you tell him I was there. Oh yeah, I said yeah. I was like Craig saw it, everything. He was like, he, I know. He, from what I, I saw, it looked like he had. I was trying to get his attention because he was hanging out in the back after he got eliminated from the battle royal mm-hmm. and stuff. But I, he wasn't. He couldn't really see me too well. But, yeah, he was. He he was saying that because he dressed up as Spider Man. He was like, oh, God, it was awesome. He said he's like, I've never wrestled in anything tighter than that Spider Man costume. It looked a little uncomfortable. Like the costumes. Like one of the guys dressed as Vince McMahon. One of the guys dressed as Ron Burgundy. Um, one of the guys dressed as Ahmed Johnson. Really? Um, his partner, his tag team partner, dressed as Uncle Ben, or Ben from uh, Spider-Man. That makes sense. So that was actually really, it was a lot of fun. The overall card was amazing. Dan Housen and Brian Myers killed it in their tag match. The best match of the night was probably Bryce Donovan against uh, JT Gunn. Mm-hmm. JT Gunn is an indie wrestler. I don't really know much about him, but his match was crazy. But I'll tell you one thing. JT Dunn's like manager or bodyguard or valet or not valet but like a hype guy. He was amazing. He he was just absolutely incredible from the minute the match started. And he looked at my friend's son and pointed at him and said, "You shut your mouth." <laughs> my friend like Keith is Keith actually, and Keith is like cracking up and like me and Keith are on the floor, and like you know we were we were laughing. It was really funny. So it was a good time and. Um, I can't wait for the next one. I'll definitely be back at the next show. And then, of course, like the craziest part of it is I run into a friend of mine from high school that I haven't seen in 15 years. Oh, jeez. At the show. And, like, I'm waiting online to meet Dan Housen, and he just comes through the door, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And, like, he gave me, like, the biggest bear hug. He's like, he's like, yo, what's up, man? We were talking for, like, we talked for, like, a few minutes. He wanted to, like, hang out after us. I'm like, dude, I got the kid. I'm like, I can't. I can't. And I got I to gotta take her home. She was pretty wiped out after the show anyway, but it was just, it was an awesome time. We had a lot of fun. Okay. And on that note, Taylor is here. All right. This is your first big test on your new platform. I know. Let's see if it works. Let's see if it works. All right. Joining us now on the Moffat on the Mike show. She's making her third appearance on our show. We always have a lot of fun at Urban Meyer's expense with her. <laughs> and, uh, we have every intention of doing that again. She is the co-host of the Helmets and Heels show on 1010XL Jacksonville Radio. We are talking about, of course, Taylor Dahl. Hey, Ted. Hey, guys. How we doing? What's up? Thank you for being the inaugural guest on our new format. We really appreciate it. What what led to the switch? Well, I did a friend's show the other day, like a a few weeks ago, and I like I fell in love with like just like how the platform was like used and everything like that. Like we got the cool ticker at the bottom. I can pull up like our topics that we're going to talk about. I'm like, oh, this is like fancy over here. I was like, I got to use this now. Clint's got to be on his A game today because uh, <laughs> you can't let the ticker down. Okay, so let's just address the elephant in the room yes. because it's just it's a must. When you first heard about the Urban Meyer video, what was your initial reaction? Were you surprised or you kind of had that like, oh, that's so urban? Yeah, I my first initial reaction was idiot, like just. <laughs> Just idiot, and I can't. I was surprised um, because obviously I've said before I don't trust him. I don't think he's a good human being, and I expected a mess up in some form. Did I think it would be that? 
no. Um, and even there was a lot of people defending him because the first video that came out, obviously, he put on like white tail. Obviously, the girl was kind of dancing on Urban. Um, but everyone was like, oh, he like he was trying to like get her off. His hands were under the seat. He wasn't touching her. And then the second video came out and I was like, oh, he, he can't. This one. Um, you are aware that when that came out, Clem and I just were like, Taylor must be like laughing her ass off right now. <laughs> like the first thing we thought was like, it has to be because it's we've been killing Urban Meyer. Each time we've been on the show, we've killed Urban Meyer. We have. This is just like another like link in the chain or something that just it just you couldn't have asked for a better situation. I mean, it's just it's, yeah. it's absolutely fantastic. For someone who, and I even on helmets and heels are very vocal about, I don't like Urban. And this has been from the get-go. When they hired him January, I was like, I don't love this, but we'll see. And the initial thing was Chris Doyle. And I was like, here we go. Like, this is already on this, like, decline of things that I hate. And so it, it sucks because over a team that we are, like, still now talking about negative things. And, like, I was kind of hoping that I was wrong so that I could cover, like, a winning team and a coach that's being successful and it's not happening. Um, Cause I would have obviously like cheering for the Jags and covering the Jags. It's way more fun when you're winning. Mm-hmm. Um, you have things going in the right direction so that it's not happening, which sucks, but it is fun in the light that I get to be like, I told you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, I guess my other question is, uh, maybe it's just another part of it. Do you think Tony Khan is starting to have, or the Khans are starting to have buyer's remorse on Urban? I don't know yet. Uh, from everything we've heard, Rod Khan and Urban Meyer kind of go like pretty far back, and they're, they're friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of the reasons, like when they originally hired Urban and everyone was like, he doesn't know anything about the NFL, what are you doing? And then Shad was, you know, came out and he said, we, you know, we've had discussions in the past and this isn't just an all of a sudden, like this month it came up. Um, Shad Khan obviously does not make the best of decisions. He's a great businessman when it comes to like making money and like doing things that are cool at the stadium. Like we have dog, dog parks and swimming pools and like electronic, like there's like alcohol dispensers now where you just like pay with your face. And so like, that's cool. But when it comes to actually winning football games and that is like, American football and the other football that he owns, it just does not work. It doesn't pan out because he doesn't, I don't think, care much about the sport. Of course, as an owner of a football team, you're going to say you do. You're going to say, like, I want a winning team and I want to bring this here. But bottom line, you're not doing things to show that to me. You're doing things to show that, like, hey, you want Jacksonville to, like, look kind of cool, but you haven't done one thing to me to prove that you want a winning franchise here. No, you're right, you know, but, I mean, look, Guys got the win on Sunday in London, so that was good. And look, I, people people might want to keep him around. As you know, we got our first comment here on our on you from YouTube. Uh, extend herbs and spices. People want them extended. Apparently, now that's a, that's a good fantasy football name. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean, it was a good win. Solomon was the first actual you know where the team looked competent on Sunday. And I was like, okay, they, yeah. they look good. They look good Sunday. And I think that 
I'm not trying to take away from the win because obviously like you want Trevor to at some point get a victory and you want this team to get a victory, but Miami's not a good football team number right now. Number one. And they're also like injury after injury, not having like Xavier Howard or Devonte Parker there. I think number one made it a, a different game Tua was coming back from injury. Um, so he, I think actually Tua played pretty well and I wasn't expecting that just because he hadn't been playing, mm-hmm. but I think, everyone keeps talking about growth and it's like, you know, they're, they're progressing, they're getting better. And I, I see it in, in, in places like Trevor, no doubt. I think he's going to be great. I think he is the man. I think he's going to be the franchise quarterback for a long time. And you see that every single week, like he's making plays that if anybody else was in this position on the Jags, it would be probably atrocious. So, um, yeah. And someone said Jags view the Dolphins 23, 20. It was like by a field goal at the like very end. And it was nice. That that one field goal, it looked like it was tailing oh, off. I was like, oh, oh, no. And then it came right back. And I was like, let's go. The, crazy, the craziest thing I heard, I, I didn't see the whole London game, but I saw like a decent amount of it. And I think it was, I forgot who was calling the game. I think it was Gumble. I think he said that the first field goal that the Jaguars kicked in that game was the first they've attempted all season. Is that true? Yeah. Made. Oh, the first one made. Okay, because yeah. he made it seem like I, I could have sworn he said this is the first field goal attempt they've they've done all season. No, they like so Lambo. He missed a couple field goals and a couple extra points, and then last week Matthew Wright missed also. Mm-hmm. Like not last week against the Dolphins. The previous week Matthew Wright missed, and that's who was filling in for Lambo. So it was literally they were saying it was like the first time in NFL history that a team has gone five weeks without making a field goal and like. Not attempting, but just like attempting and not making. Um, so it was, and that's what in my head I, I called it. I don't know if you guys heard the play call because front on helmets and heels, we do our predictions at the end. And I said, I was like, look, if they can be anybody right now, it's going to be Miami. And my exact words were, it's going to be a close game. Uh, I think. I think I said 24-21 Jags by a field because they'll actually make a field goal. Like, those are my words, and then it ended up panning out that way. So I was like, hey, that works for me. But they they are not a good football team right now. They're just not. And I, it goes to everything. It goes to play calling. It goes to coaching. It goes to the defense is just bad. Like, they're, they've figured out how to, like, they figured out the rush defense and in that completely forgot anything about pass rush and mm-hmm. getting to the quarterback and they don't know how to cover like Shaq Griffin's the only one out there that has is doing any work whatsoever when it comes to the secondary. So it's just, they have a lot of things they have to fix and they had a lot of money in the off season to do so and didn't. Now getting back to Trevor, because, you know, throughout the entire process leading up to the draft, we just kept hearing the same phrase about Trevor, once in a generational prospect, on and on and on. Six weeks into the season, I, I still think Trevor Lawrence will be a very good quarterback. I'm not saying he won't be. But do you think he should be better than what he is right now? Because in the few games I've watched, he seems more of a dink and dunk passer. And I can't tell if that's the offense, if that's Bevel and Schottenheimer, or if that's just right now how the – how they're just laying out their game plans. Do you think Trevor Lawrence should be better than where he is right now, even though he's a rookie? Um, I'm going to say no, just because of the talent that's surrounding Trevor. Um, I don't think, I mean, your, your number one receiver right now is Marvin Jones. Obviously, DJ Chart got hurt, and he was kind of supposed to be the number one. Um, 
And Marvin Jones is great, but Marvin Jones isn't a number one wide receiver. There's a reason in Detroit he was behind Kenny Galladay, and he had his moments there to try to, you know, like step in and be that one when Galladay was hurt. But he, he's good in big splash plays, but he's not the that wide receiver you want out there every down to get you to get you driving down the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and then LaVisca has spurts, but it's just like not always there. Um, so there's just a lot of things to me that kind of factor into what is going on with Trevor. I will say the offensive line's playing a lot better than what a lot of people thought they would. Um, and that is just until of like, he's been hit eight times. Um, he's been sacked eight times and guys like Justin Fields are at 18. Like it's just, it's a big difference that he does have some time to throw the ball. So it is odd to me, as you were saying, it's odd to me that they are doing a lot of the shorter routes and the dinks and dunks. And I think a lot of that is just like he there, is it clicking with the receivers or they aren't trusting the receivers to be there and be open. Um, But I think it's a combination of things. I just think that, I mean, bottom line, the team won one game last season and they didn't really change anything offensively other than Trevor. You know, speaking of, you know, changing things offensively, you know, when we first had you on, I asked you about the, you know, the impact that, you know, drafting a guy like Travis NTN might be the team. Unfortunately, you know, he lost him for the season during during camp. But now, like, James Robinson is really solidifying himself as the number one back, not only for the Jaguars, but, like, one of the top backs in the NFL. So what does this mean for a guy like Travis NTN when he does become healthy and get back? Yeah, I'm I'm really interested and that was one of my questions when Urban when he drafted ETM because I my initial thought was we have James Robinson and James Robinson has proved himself to be that number one back and now you're seeing it even further this year. Um the one thing I will say with Travis Etienne, I see him more of like how Pittsburgh used Najee Harris. Like that's how I picture the Jags using ETN and obviously you can't do that like Najee's their guy anyways there. So it's kind of it'd be a little different because it'd be split between James Robinson and ETN, but I think you could also use ETN in so many different other formations and schemes that not just, hey, let me hand this behind, you know, like behind me and kind of those like those third down yardage. Like James is really good at those. Um, and James is really good at breaking through and getting the extra after contact, which is great. But ETN can do those five yard slant passes and like get him out in front of the quarterback a little bit. And I don't know if they trust Robinson to do that. When the Urban Meyer story broke um, right after the game against Cincinnati because he didn't fly home with the team, and that's when he stayed in Ohio, of course. Um, when it's when it broke, I guess what was the mood around the team after the story had broke? You know, if they interviewed certain players, were they did you just kind of deflect it, or was it really something that maybe aggravated him, aggravated them, and? just like their coach just got caught in a really embarrassing situation. It's almost like they just lost the game to Cincinnati. Yeah. He didn't really care about flying back with the team. And then he gets caught at his own restaurant of all places, you know, on video. But what was the reaction? We already know what the cons had said that they had just said it was unacceptable and they made that statement, but what was, tell us what like the general player reaction was, you know, from what you've heard or what you've seen. So I will say that there was mixed stories because there was originally a story that came out by a guy, uh, by Michael Silver and he tweeted kind of a story rather than like writing an article. He had tweeted like a thread of I talked to a Jaguars player and this is what's going on in the locker room and pretty much said that 
I mean, players were aggravated and they were number one, originally upset because when Urban Meyer came back, when the video got released on Monday, rather than bringing the team together and saying, hey, like, I'm sorry, I messed up. This is what happened. He didn't even address the team as a whole. He took individual play, like position groups into a room and talked to them individually. So I guess that kind of upset some players because they took that as like, you can't even own up to what you just did. You can't look us in the eye and actually have a conversation. Instead, you have to like break us off into groups. Um, one of the players said it was kind of like the team was kind of laughing at him um, or like <laughs> after spoke to them in their meetings he was like they were laughing and kind of mocking him and like you know there was a little bit of respect lost for him and that was the initial story that came out we didn't hear much more from that story and he didn't name a name it was one particular player he talked to that apparently what reportedly was telling him these things he wouldn't release a name but ended up coming to find out it was one of the captains um so it's still we still don't know exactly who it was but by being a captain, it kind of narrowed it down because there's also only a few uh, veteran captains on the team, which I would assume who it was because I'm like, I don't see Trevor Lawrence like going out there and talking crap about Urban Meyer in his first season, you know, and like just of how he is. So I was narrowing it down and it looked, it seemed to me like it was like an Andrew Norwell or Linder. Um, they were the two on there, but we don't know. We still don't. But then the next day or two days later, a report came out and it was Jihad Ward and Jihad Ward was asked about it. And he kind of was like, we don't care. Like we've moved on to the next game. We're not hurt. Like people make mistakes, blah, blah, blah. But Jihad Ward's kind of fighting for a roster spot. <laughs> so of course you're going to say. He's going to kiss ass as much as he can, basically. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's like, we're good. Like we're perfectly fine. He's like, yeah, well, I've moved on because I'm worried about my job right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. I think that it was it it, it was torn, and I, I you can't tell me that players weren't aggravated, like especially the veterans to me, because the veterans here, like Miles Jack and Brandon Linder and Andrew Norwell, there's not many on here that have been here a long time, and the ones who have have been tortured the last few seasons. I mean, you won one game last season, and you've had one winning season in ten. And it's just, or probably even more than that at this point, but it, it gets to the point where you finally have this little glimmer of hope. Like, okay, we have Trevor Lawrence, we have a new coach, like new regime, new era, no more being the laughing stock of the NFL. And then you make it five weeks and you're back to being the la laughing stock of the NFL. So I'm sure it was, there's no way that some of those players weren't annoyed and aggravated and just like, seriously, we're just trying to like win some football games and not be talked about on ESPN for some drama that's happening in the locker room. You know, re over the past week, I would say, I don't know, remember which day it was, but it came out that Ed Ogeron is not going to return as LSU's head coach next mm -hmm. year. And we talked about it last time you were on the show with you. We know USC's job is open as well. So if if the season keeps going the way it does, you know, not looking too hot, and especially when you have a top talent like Trevor Lawrence as your quarterback and a very good running back in James Robinson, honestly, could you see the Jaguars pulling a, a Arizona Cardinals and firing their head coach after after just one season? I, I'm not sure. Um, I'm I'd say no because of who Shad Khan is. Like the amount of time and chances he gave Doug Marone um, after I mean just bad after bad. And like this goes beyond what happened on the football field. This goes to him losing the locker room several times and him um, just honestly ruining certain Jalen Ramsey, Yannick Ngakwe, 
like all of these guys who could who are potentially like other star players on teams right now and we watch games every single Sunday where we're like well there's another ex-jag that's now like tearing it up on some other football team and the reason they're not here is because Doug Marone they, they don't like the locker room, and a lot of that was because of him. So I say no just because of Shad Khan. I think Shad Khan would give him more time. Uh, will Urban Meyer make it? I don't know. Like, he looks so bad on the sideline. Like, he every <laughs> single time they show him, he has, like, his hands on his knees, and he's, like, uh, like, doing breathing lessons or something. Like, I don't even know. I think he's, like, salivating to get back to the – NCAA, especially after, like I said, the USC job opened up, and now the LSU job opened up. He would, I bet you, he would love to get back to the SEC. Oh, for sure. We've seen this time and time again, though, with college coaches that have come from strictly winning programs, and they come in with nothing but arrogance and nothing but I'm the best, and you know, you are lucky to have me. And then they see the NFL process is not the same as the college process. Urban Meyer can't sell anybody because he's not Ohio State anymore. And he's yeah. not, he's like, yeah, you're our guaranteed that we will destroy Sam Houston State week one and you're going <laughs> to be a superstar and everything like that. Whereas you've never gotten the vibe that Meyer has been comfortable in the NFL. Mm-mm. Maybe the first day he got hired, but just his comments about every single prop, like procedure, when it started with the legal tampering. And it went to the draft. And then it went to um, recently when he said that, it, oh, every week is like playing Alabama. Yeah. You know, these are the things you don't want to hear from your coach, which leads me to this question, though. See, I could see Meyer gone after this year. Mm-hmm. I could see him, you know, playing the medical card or something like that. And that'll be his that'll be his ticket out. And I, I don't mean to, like, joke. Well, maybe I do. But, <laughs> <laughs> right? But – it just seems like it's it's that's where it's headed. And my question to you is, if Meyer bails on the Jaguars after this year, do you think NFL teams will pretty much avoid the college ranks for a long time when it comes to looking for a college for a head coach? Yeah, I I think it would be a big uh, signal of to like you got to be careful. It's not that easy, and you can sit here and the comparisons I kept hearing were. And I think I mentioned it last time on here um, was guys like Ron Rivera. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, but he kind of like, he didn't just jump into a head coaching position and take over a football team that just won one game and ask him to like change everything. And a lot of recent kind of rumors, I guess, or chatter that has been that Urban Meyer is just so competitive that the reason he even came to the NFL is just to try to prove that he's better than Steve Spurrier. Literally, that's like what people are saying at this point. So it's not even that he wanted to coach the NFL. It's him being like, okay, like I am great in college and I can prove you guys wrong and be great in the NFL too. But it's clearly shown it's not that easy. And there's a reason that you don't see it. Like you don't see it often because it is a different world. And for Urban, he tried to play the same cards in he, for the Jags as he did in college. And, like, he tried to act as a recruiter. That's why half the guys that he went and, like, either signed in free agency or got in the draft, he had tried to recruit or he had tried to recruit previously. They had played for him previously. Like, some format, they were connected to Urban Meyer. And that's because Urban Meyer is so used to college and that the connections. And that's what's big in college. Like, hey, your brother played for me. You come on over here, too, and we're good to go. Um, 
so I, I think the NFL has to be careful. And there's guys that are great college coaches and there's guys that are great NFL head coaches. And you can't just say that's a big leap from that to a head coach, at least. I mean, cause a guy like, for example, you know, the name that we always heard that was going to be a head coaching candidate is Lincoln Riley. Mm-hmm. He was like the next big thing next to Urban Meyer. But at this stage, it's like if you're Lincoln Riley, would you even come anywhere near the NFL right now? Well, yeah. and I think I think the guys right now that maybe have been on the fence thinking about coming up to the NFL are like, nah, we'll yeah. we'll wait a little bit unless you're a some- god. You're a god where you are right now. You're a god at yeah. Oklahoma. You're why like Davo Sweeney has it so perfect. He's like, why am I going to go to the NFL? People worship the ground I walk on here in Clemson. Yeah. I'm like, why would I ever leave this? <laughs> and I, I think one of the things that Urban Meyer realized really quick and other head coaches are probably also realizing is the amount of more media that the NFL gets too, because there's a lot of things, sketchy, bad things that Urban Meyer did in his time at Florida and his time at Ohio state. And it was kind of like a little topic for a week and then gone. That doesn't happen in the NFL. The NFL's too big. The NFL's bigger than you, Urban Meyer. And so this isn't done. Because um, I will say today it was talked about that there's a third video that <laughs> um, is even worse. And there's text messages and things are possibly going to be getting worse. But I'm, I'm guessing he's trying to, like, uh, pay some things off to avoid that. But So I'm waiting to see there's something drop or – there's some settlement made not to be not to be graphic i part of me will hope that it's like him and a really like like he's zipping up his pants or something like that (laughs) because it would just be like such a it would just be like the cherry on top to the drama it would be the absolute cherry on top but it's I, i don't know i just don't really know what to say it just seems like it's been one speed bump after another for him yeah and I think part of it is self-inflicted by him. I actually think a lot of it is self-inflicted by him. But you can just get this real vibe that he just doesn't feel comfortable. Yeah. He thought it was going to be – maybe thought it was going to be a cakewalk. I, I really don't know how what he was thinking when he first took the job. But you just get this vibe week after week. He's been complaining and complaining. And now this comes out. Now you said there's rumors of a third video. It just yeah. – it just seems like he's never going to be comfortable. And that's, I would, he'll probably make it through the year if, if he's lucky. And then I think it'll mutually part ways. Well, and I think he's definitely in over his head. And we hear this in like in the press conferences, the pre games and the post games and all during the week of everything. He, the amount of things, and this is like Urban Meyer, if you follow, if you go back to Florida, Urban Meyer's thing at Florida was like attention to detail. He knew everything. Like when he had an opponent, he was so competitive, he could name every single person on that roster and you know where they were recruited from and why they were recruited there and this and that and that like he knew everything about these people and there's been so many instances now within this first six weeks where for example when they were playing houston he couldn't name a single houston running back's name they they asked him and he's like i don't remember then he said joe mixon joe mixon's on the Bengals, (laughs) so no already Um, off to a bad start he's like oh yeah (laughs) Oh, and he couldn't name one. And then there was another point where he, I can't even remember who the player was. He called a Jags player by the wrong, called him the wrong name. And then there was one point where they asked him about Trevor's. It was, um, I'm trying to think what game it was. Not Miami the week before, I think, where he didn't throw an interception because he was throwing a ton for a few games. 
and he didn't throw an interception and it was like this big thing and after the game they somebody mentioned something about you know trevor's interceptions and then urban was like well i don't think he threw one but i'm gonna have to go back and look at the tapes like you're the head coach and you were just watching this football standing right there like you didn't know your quarterback didn't throw an interception and this is just three examples of things that he's just like completely missed on um where he just says stuff and I'm like, you have, you truly have no idea who you are, you are facing this week. And that terrifies me. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, when you, when you hear stuff like that, it's like, what? Like, you gotta be freaking kidding me. Like you're the, literally the head coach. You were, it speaks to his arrogance. It, it really is. And I, Craig, I have to agree with you. I really don't think he's going to pass. He's going to get past year one with the Jaguars, unfortunately. And I, I liked Urban Meyer. I was advocating Urban Meyer to be the head coach for the Jets. I was. I'm on record saying that. Of course you were. Of course. You were. I was on record saying that. And like, I see all the shit that's been going on now. Uh, I see all the shit that's been going on now. I'm just like, thank. God, we don't have this well, man on our team. Like, um, I, I couldn't be like happier, but like, I feel, no, I feel for the Jaguars. I feel bad. I like the Jaguars. Yeah. I want them to be good. Take it from this perspective. Take it from this perspective. It's that imagine Urban Meyer in New York, and this video comes out. Oh, he's done. It's he's on already the fired. Page of every newspaper. Yeah, it is talked about, and New York is vicious when it comes to the media. They are vicious. They're already putting doubt in Jets fans' heads about Zach Wilson after five games. They're already putting doubt. They've already se- they're already starting to plant the seeds of doubt in Jets fans' heads. Could you imagine if Urban Meyer was the coach here and within five games this video comes out? Yeah. It, there, there's no way the Jets could ever recover from that. Yeah. The New York media would just would bring it up. It would happen every week. Well, they wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to escape it ever. And that's the problem with here in Jacksonville because it is such a like small market. And I mean, it's the team's been around 27 years. So the fans that are fans like have been there since day one, literally, because most of their parents are fans of some other team. And then they were born in Jacksonville and are like, I'm going to be a Jaguars fan. So they haven't like, they just, their, their sense of just like how big things actually can be or not. They tr- they're used to turning things into jokes almost. So that's what a lot of the Jags fans did with this situation where they're just like, it's fine. It has nothing to do with football, but it does because at the end of the day, your coach like sat at a podium and said, I'm so sad. This win was heartbreaking. And then he didn't fly home with the team and he went to a bar and cheated on his wife. So it's like what, and now players are laughing at him in the locker room. And that's the one thing with Jacksonville, like being a smaller market, which I like, I love working for the smaller market because this is it. Like we don't have a basketball team or a hockey team or anything else that we're like the fans here are Jaguars fans. And that's what it is. There's no split of which team they like in the other and whatever other sport or whatever it's college football and it's the Jaguars. So that's, it's nice in that factor, but it's bad in the factor of they, they just give it, they just give people so many chances. And that's why Bortles was here the length of time that Bortles was here. And that's why all the drama with Jalen Ramsey lasted two years when it should have, like any other team would have just been like, peace. Like we're not dealing with this. Like the Jets did with Jamal, like bye. Um, <laughs> but it, even Shad Khan after it, he, one of it, when he finally came out with his statement, which at first they were like, no comment. Then he came out with this statement. When he said it, he was like, you know, we're, we're giving him, I believe in Urban Meyer and we're going to, we're letting him like prove himself and he's going to like earn our trust back. And I was like, it's been five weeks and he's already lost your trust. Like as a head football coach, like, what does that tell you? This man's not trustworthy and it's not going to change. 
it's 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 just not a good look when you have when he does this kind of shit. Like I played football before, and like if my head coach ever a video of my head coach was ever out there like that, I'd be like, how am I supposed to have respect for this man now? Like, I would like crap you're just getting it video. on in your own bar. Like, what, what, yeah. who, who are you? Like, I would I would totally crack up if my high school football coach got caught on video doing that. I I would I would die. I would literally <laughs> that would be too much for me. But we also we have another comment. Love, love this from me in the UK. All right, we got UK fans out here. Look at that. We're national. We're international. We're we're branching out. <laughs> it's definitely not us. It's definitely Taylor because she's she's more of the show than we are at this point. <laughs> um, but but here's another urban question I had. Mm-hmm. Why did he all of a sudden give up on C.J. Henderson? You know, last year, I know he was a first-round pick last year. He was ninth overall last year. I know he was hurt a good amount. I think he was even hurt a little bit at the start of training camp. But, it, you know, then he kind of planted that seed over the summer where he was saying he was going to listen to trade offers for C.J. Henderson. Yeah. Was there any tension between player and coach? Was it just the scheme, or was he just not a fan of him at all? Um. So I will say, like, these are – there's situations with C.J. Henderson that, like – we are not allowed to talk about, um, but he has like, and like in all seriousness, he has some um, like some serious mental health issues that he's been through. And I guess they knew that even in Florida, Mm -hmm. Um, he was working through some stuff at Florida and was like seeing, you know, particular doctors that he needed to see help with like his mental health issues. And the Jags still, the Jags knew that and drafted him and, you know, thought that they could help him through it, but they were not giving him the help they needed. He needed here in Jacksonville. And so when urban came urban, like specifically went and talked to him and was like, look, like we want to help you get better. We want to help you get on track. We want to help you succeed. Da, da, da. Like, tell us what you need. Um, and that was it. Like, and then it was kind of ignored and that's when he like missed camp and it made this like, that was making drama and rather than urban Meyer coming out and like confronting people and being like, Hey, like we're on his side. We've got his back because we know what's going on. He kind of made it seem like he didn't know what was going on and made it seem like it was CJ Henderson. Um, so I think that kind of upset CJ, but that's so urban. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the more I hear this is just like, nothing surprises me because it, he just comes off as such an arrogant tool. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. I mean, the stories that, it just didn't make any sense to give up on a first round pick like that. Yeah. It so was, there had to be an underlying reason. I mean, mm-hmm. so. And so honestly, we didn't even know, like we hadn't even by the Jaguars or any of them came out and been told straight to our face. The only reason I know anything is because uh, one of the other girls on helmets and heels, Mia O'Brien, she works for the news, like one of those local news stations also. And she covers sports for them and they have a lot more access to like, locker room and one-on-one interviews and all of that stuff. So she ended up interviewing somebody from Florida, like one of his previous coaches from Florida. And he was the one who kind of told her like, Hey, there's some underlying things here that he asked people not to disclose. So like, please don't talk about it, but there's some like, like some serious like mental health issues that he's been trying to work through. For, you know, we're heading into week seven for the NFL season. What, since you cover the Jaguars, what do you expect? What do you want to see other than Trevor Lawrence be good? What do you want to see out of certain players and certain? What What do you want to see out of the Jaguars, basically? Um, like I want to see 
the actual improvement because I just feel like when you look at the numbers and I, I believe me, I know like statistics aren't everything. It's easy to throw out numbers and you can make anybody sound good or bad by pulling what numbers you want to pull. Um, Cause I can sit there and I can say like Justin Fields has done this, this and this and make him sound like pretty decent or I can pull other numbers and make him look like he's just been atrocious. So I try not to do that. But when you look at numbers, for the Jaguars when it comes to outside of rushing, because obviously with James Robinson, their rushing yards and rushing per attempt and all of that has been great. Everything else is like in the bottom seven of the NFL, everything. Like when it comes to passing yards, passing attempts, passing like completions per attempt, um, completion percentage, sacks, like everything, every other statistic other than something that has to do with rushing is in the bottom. And it's so it annoys me when constantly these last few weeks I've heard, but they're improving. I'm like, but are they like, are our standards that low to like, <laughs> is our improving not being 32nd and now we're 28th? Like, is that what we're aiming for? Um, there's just, I, I want to see a big leap in just like consistency because they have not been able to play four quarters of football. So I'm just going to start with that. And I want to see like a full four quarters of football play because I think Miami was the closest we had to that. But even that, like a Miami game being that close with what they were missing and how they've been playing and you having Trevor Lawrence and them having Tua Tungvaloa, like you, it should have been, it should have been different than a three point game and with zero seconds left on the clock. Um, so I want to see full, like four quarters. I want to see touchdowns consistently in four quarters and stopping consistently in four quarters. Um, and until that starts to happen, I don't think the Jaguars are anywhere close to winning. I mean, part of the reason too is because a lot of their first round picks have really started to become more bus. Yeah. I mean, they might be a little too early to, you know, of course not Trevor, right? the jury, you know, we'll, we'll wait. We'll, but we all, we all agree that he was, he's going to be a good quarterback, but he drafted Travis Etienne in the first round and said that he wanted him as a third down back. So, yeah. you know, but then you look back, they drafted um, the linebacker from LSU, Clayton Chasen. Oh, it's Caleb on. He's awful. Yeah, he's been awful. <laughs> <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. Just the, way you, just, the way Taylor, just the way you said that was hilarious. Oh, he's awful. He's <laughs> no, but the, the best part was I was about to say it and she beat me to it. <laughs> But she just needed to get that off of her chest. Like, so she was waiting for someone to say that name, and then you're like, oh, he's terrible. But now you're also seeing a guy like Josh Allen regressing, too, because last year he only played eight games. He, has two, he had two and a half sacks. 2019 was his big year, of course, and when he had, I think he had 11 sacks in his rookie season. Now this year we're already six games in. He only really has like two and a half sacks. I mean, is that part of it, too? Is it just the scheme? Is it like why are these guys on defense just failing? Yeah, I so I think Josh Allen, sack wise, and what I said earlier is like the pass ru pass rush and getting to the quarterback is awful. And this all comes from the Jaguars have play a lot of man coverage, like mm -hmm. way too much man coverage. Like eighty six percent of their snaps are in man, and it's been awful because that in doing that they're able to stop the run, but they're not able to do anything when it comes to like pass rush or pass blocking or getting to the quarterback or anything like that. They have Josh Allen. If you watch a Jags game. Uh, way too many snaps he's dropping back like 10 15 yards and you're like where are you going like that's not your job your job is to get to the quarterback and it's not josh allen not doing like he's doing what he's being told they're yeah. just having him play like not quite at a position at the position that he's used to playing like when we hear josh allen 
we hear sax like he was in, you know, in the, when he first came to Jacksonville. Um, so I, I think Josh Allen is one of the few that are not a bust in the first rounds. Um, I just think they're using him completely wrong. Caleb Vaughn is terrible. I think Miles Jack is good. Miles Jack is probably the best player on the Jags. They have issues with him. They recently gave him like the green dot. You know, I don't know if you guys know what that means, but meaning they have the he has the mic in his headset, so he's oh. kind of playing the defensive line, and that did not work out. It was very bad, and so this shows that Miles Jack is good at his position, but maybe his like not to be mean, but football IQ isn't high enough to be able to regulate an entire line and do what he has to do at one time. So right. that was the game, and then the sticker got taken away, and then Miles Jack was back. So well, then he got hurt last he wouldn't play last week but it, it's just little things that they keep trying are just not working but overall the jacks first round picks have been just i mean awful and you can go back to what the bad thing is if you go back to 10 years ago other than the last three years the only guy left outside of josh allen is and calevon is Taven bryan who is probably one of the worst players on the jaguars and that's the one person they have left on the team from those few years of drafts. So, um, they, and I don't know, I don't know if it's problems developing guys. I don't know if the eyes that were drafting these guys just were complete misses. I think the combination of all of them, but I think it is, um, the few guys that they have now that should be performing are not performing because of what the scheme is though. Yeah. I'm going to switch it over from Jaguars to, cause I know you're such a big Cubs fan. Yeah. Was it being a Cubs fan? Was it tough watching guys like Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and Kyle Schwarber all succeed, especially going into the playoffs as well? Was it tough as a Cubs fan to see that? It, it was weird. It was a weird feeling. I found mm. of the only one that I like couldn't cheer for was Javi and at the Mets. Like that was the one that I just couldn't do. Yeah, uh, it just like with the the booing and the thumbs down stuff and all. Oh of that. yeah, well, I can't disagree with you there. I I I flipped out as a Met fan about that. It just I hate like, that. He's just like our baby, and to see him being treated poorly, I was like, scream! <laughs> Hope you don't make the playoffs. Like, forget you. Um, it's I don't like the Yankees, so it's hard for me to cheer for the Yankees at all. But seeing Rizzo is a different story. Like Rizzo is just like such like a ray of sunshine wherever he is, and it's just so it's hard not to cheer for him. It's for me the easiest was KB because I don't have any like wrongdoing or like hostility towards San Francisco like from the Giants like whatsoever. Right. So he like I was like okay cool go Giants go KB I can cheer for you. Um, the Cubs are stupid because they could have signed you for the last like three years to a contract and didn't. Um, and Shorbert's awesome. Like Shorbert's just such one of those comeback stories because in 2016, like he tore his ACL in the beginning of the season and missed the whole season and literally came back for the World Series and hit a home run in the World like yeah. in the Series. So it's fun. It's fun to cheer for Shorbert. And but there's guys everywhere. Jock Peterson in Atlanta right now. They're calling it Jock. Oh Peterson. yeah, true. Like it's just there. There's sprinkles of Cubs everywhere. Um, it's weird, but it, it's nobody I truly hated. As soon as Brewers and Cardinals and White Sox are at, I was like, I'm good. Like I can. <laughs> <laughs> now with the Cubs, though, since they basically purged the roster right at the deadline, you know they got rid of Bryant, they got rid of Rizzo, they got rid of Baez. You know they did keep a couple of guys like Wilson Contreras was one that just comes off the top of my head. 
How do you think the Cubs are going to attack this offseason? Do you think they're going to go back to spending, or do you think it's going to be more of like, let's develop our young players and almost like almost taking a step back before they take another step forward? So from what I've heard, um, they – they say they'll, they're not afraid to spend money. In that terms, Cubs never spend money. Like for some reason, they'll like spend money on Hayward and then not spend money on anything that is actually like good for the baseball team. But uh, they got a ton out of everything they, all of the trades they did make into the offseason. It was a ton of prospects. They got the magical guy, the second baseman from the White Sox, who's like really good. He just happened to be injured last year. Um, and they have some good young guys like Patrick Wisdom. I don't know how much you guys watched of the Cubs after the purge, um, but Patrick Wisdom has first base pretty much took over for for Rizzo, and it's just like he's insane. He's like so consistent and so good. Um, he's a rookie technically, but he's like 26 or 27, I think, because he just ended up staying in the minors for a while um and kind of moved around too much and then he was in the Cubs farm system so he isn't coming up because Rizzo's at first base um but he's really good they have that second base and they have Nico Horner who is really good too he's had some injuries issues so I don't know but they have guys like David Bodie and there's there's people there that they can definitely make a roster out of but I really do hope they go out and at least spend money on some sort of big splash player because I honestly think if they do grab one or two guys that are hopefully also some pitching because that's they got rid of all their pitchers by the end of the season. I didn't even know who was on the mound. I was like, who is that? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but I hope they spend money because they have the money to do so now. But knowing the Cubs, they won't. They'll maybe go grab, like, one guy that's going to help in the bullpen and then try to build up from – um, their farm system, which I don't see anything wrong with. I like how the Rays do it. The Ra- That's what the Rays do, and look, like they're a good baseball team. Taylor, this is my last question uh, for the show, for our spot. And, again, thank you for hanging out with us. Check, and uh, our, you're our first guest on our debut format, so we're glad it all worked out. Yeah, it's nice. But, but um, you know, I found it coincidental that right after the Dolphins lost to the Jaguars, all of a sudden, there's now a lot of heavy speculation that Deshaun Watson could be traded to Miami. Mm-hmm. And I guess my question is, do you think that the Dolphins really were 100% committed to drafting Tua, like they really believed in him? Or do you think they just took him because it was more like, well, he's a quarterback and we need one? Because it just doesn't seem like they're committed to Tua. It's almost like in a way they're making him the scapegoat for their problems. Yeah. And now, all of a sudden, you're talking about there's like rumors that they're going to trade three first round picks to get Watson. This all this stuff with the sexual harassment and misconduct lawsuits hasn't gone away yet. What are your thoughts on the whole situation? And do you think that Miami just never really seemed to be behind Tua from day one? Uh, I don't think they were. And you can go back to last year with this because how many Tua got benched twice last year, like on two different occasions and one it the first occasion. Okay. The second occasion, like he wasn't playing terrible football. There's definitely, there's definitely football teams that stick with their guy, um, Sam Darnold, like, and give him more chances because they're like, Hey, he's young, but we gotta, you know, give this guy a chance. Like he's a rookie in the NFL and they just did not, they kept benching him and it wasn't for like some elite quarterback. It was for Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was also just like playing a football at the time. 
Um, and then this year, it's the same thing where I just don't to come out and say that when your quarterback, you're six into the season and you're talking about trading your quarterback that you drafted for a guy who like you don't even know if he's going to be able to play football, to be honest with you, because. The thing is that he hasn't the NFL hasn't done anything with Deshaun Watson because Deshaun Watson told the Texans he did not he wasn't playing. He was like, I'm not playing football for you. So like don't put me on the roster, don't put me out on the field. And so the Houston Texans haven't really had to quite deal with that. And the NFL hasn't had to deal with that. What's mm-hmm. going to change is if that trade happens and he goes to Miami and Miami's actually trying to play Deshaun Watson. The NFL is going to have to step in because there is an investigation going on. The court date isn't until after the season. So I don't see how you could let a guy go out and play a football game while all, and it's not one, it's 24 or whatever it is, allegations are going on. Um, So I think like Miami, that's a big slap in the face. Like I'd be really like, I'd be really angry if I was Tua because I'm like, you really have that little faith in me that you're going to go sign a guy who hasn't played football in like almost a year now at this point and who just whined and complained about everything because he didn't get involved in every move that their owner wanted to make. And then in addition to that, he has, Oh, by the way, 24 sexual allegations that are pending. Um, so it's a very odd, it's, I don't know, like it's bold for Miami to make a move like that. But to me, that really shows that they just do not have faith in Tua whatsoever. I mean, they really haven't given him, he hasn't even played a full season yet. Yeah, they haven't I mean, had like any opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling. And I, I just think that if you had his back, I think you just got to give him time. Yeah. I, you know, Clem and I talked about this last week. I just feel like there's such a rush now to get these guys to be superstars. Yeah. Quarterbacks in the top five of the draft, top 10 of the draft, doesn't matter. It's if you're a first round quarterback, you're, you're, the expectations go through the roof. Yeah. And I see that with, you know, the hype train around Justin Fields. I saw that with the hype train around Zach Wilson and, you know, even Trevor to a lesser extent. And then, of course, now with Tua, it was like last year, Tua was supposed to be, Again, that can't miss, you know, prospect, but he came, then he got that really bad hip injury in the Alabama game. And, you know, he was pretty much toast for a year. But I just never get this vibe that they are 100% behind Tua. Yeah. And well, that it just, again, it's just almost like you're, you're blatantly ruining a guy. Yeah. And he may not recover from that. Yeah. Well, and I think it's odd, too, because I don't know where they're looking at to think that a guy can come into the NFL and after four or five games be successful because the chances I don't and I'm sure there's somewhere there's somewhere that a quarterback has done that. But when I think of it, I'm thinking of Tom Brady, who was behind Bledsoe for a little bit and Aaron Rodgers, who was behind Farr for a little bit and Drew Brees, who got traded to the Saints and it wasn't like an immediate thing. Um, and then even now, like the one that you can maybe say is Justin Herbert, like Justin Herbert is the one to me that you can, I guess, say like he got thrown in and kind of was like pretty successful pretty fast, but he won six games. It wasn't like he was, you know, went out and won 10, 11 games in his first season um, because people want to throw Mahomes out there. But I'm like, number one, Mahomes, Mahomes sat for a little bit, too. And so it wasn't like Mahomes came in and got thrown into a new football team and then won 10 games in his first season and also Kansas City Chiefs won like 10 and 11 games the two seasons before that 
So most of these guys are coming onto football teams that are terrible. And there's a reason that they were drafted top five quarterback is because the team was so bad the season before. So it's odd to me that they, any football team would expect you to draft this guy. And all of a sudden you're a contender. Um, yeah, I just, I was going to say, I just think there's there's way too much hype around some of these quarterbacks when they come out because, like you said, with Tua, Trevor, Zach, Sam Darnold to an extent, all these guys, they're like, oh, these are can't-miss guys, and they, they rush them out, out there right away, a guy like Tua, Sam, et cetera. The list goes on and on and on. And when they fail, it's like, well, it's two years, you know, time to get them out of here. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's tough. It, they're put in tough situations. And or you can look at guys like Joe Burrow, who I think Joe Burrow plays good football, but you throw him out there last year behind a terrible offensive line and about killed the kid. So it's like yeah. at some point you have to start figuring out that it's a process. And yes, like you may have your quarterback. And the same thing happened with Justin Fields. That Browns game, Justin Fields got sacked nine times and got hit another 15 times. Like that's your guy. And you're telling me that you want to put your guy that you're expecting to be your quarterback for 10 plus years behind a line that's letting him get his leg broke after a few games in. like you, you just can't do that to these young guys and expect them to succeed. But that's what scares me too, because, you know, with guys like, you know, I'll bring up Zach, for example, because he makes one throw in a, in a workout. That, that one where he's running and he just heaves it like 50, 60 yards. And everybody yeah. went crazy about it. And I said, there's the problem. I said, that's the hype train. Mm-hmm. You can't just keep doing this as kid. He's never going to live to the expectations you want. And I guess like the way we do it is because I hear the Jet Beat writers in New York. And the first thing I say to myself is, well, if you already know the season's going to be a failure and you already know they're not going to be a playoff team and you already know they're not, not to go crazy and it's going to be a rebuilding year, then why do you – do these podcasts where you literally get pissed off that the team is not playing well when you already knew they weren't going to play well. Yeah. You know, those are the things that frustrate me. And then it's just like, you expect Zach to be Tom Brady and he's, he's not, I mean, he's, he's learning a new system. You, you gave him five new receivers. Basically. He doesn't know how to work with these guys yet. I mean, it, it just, it just boggles the mind that, all the Jet fans and all the Jet beat writers who over the summer couldn't stop glowing about Joe Douglas and who were like, eh, it's, it's a rebuilding year. You know, we know this and they're finally doing it right and we, you know, no expectations. And by week two, they're making YouTube videos about how miserable they are as Jet fans. Yeah. Well, and it, it's Jags fans have not done that yet, I will tell you. Like, Jags fans already knew this season. Most people came in and they're like, if we win six games, it's going to be like a miracle just because they know how bad this football team was last year. Um, and the Jets are in the same position of, like, they were terrible last year. They got this quarterback who could potentially be a good, great quarterback. But in addition to a rookie quarterback, you also have a ton of new weapons around this quarterback. You also have a new football coach that's learning everything in this specific franchise for us in the NFL in general. And so it, it's – it's crazy to me. And like, to, so the Jags fans don't do it, but national media does it to the Jags. I heard today it was like Keyshawn goes on this thing and made all these Jags fans mad because he came out and said that like Trevor Lawrence hasn't proven anything to him yet. And he thinks that like until he can win football games, he's not, he's not like impressed by it's, Trevor. It's typically, it's, typical ESPN. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Typically ESPN. They do. They, they are the biggest front runner fans you'll ever see in your life. Yeah. Like, he goes on and he talks about how much, like, how better Mac Jones and Justin Fields um, are playing. I don't remember if he said, I, I know for sure he said Mac and Justin, 
But in my head, I was like, Justin Fields really playing that much better. I don't terrible right now. It's he's there's a lot of struggles on the Bears and. It's like I would never say that Justin Fields is playing better than Trevor Lawrence. Will I say that Trevor Lawrence is playing like light years ahead of Justin? No, I don't. I think like they're both making plays and I think they're both where they should be at this point. When you draft a quarterback and it's their rookie season and you are putting them on a team that needs a lot of help, then I think they're exactly where they need to be. And it's it's almost just like like you said, it's like the ESPN guys. It's almost just clickbait for them because they know people are going to want to comment and listen and retweet if they make some crazy accusation like Trevor Lawrence is not impressive and then people are mad. Yeah. Taylor, you rock. And when we when we ever need to make fun of Urban Meyer, you are always on our speed dial. <laughs> Give me a call. <laughs> so, thank you as always for being on our show. Thank you for, you know, just being a fan and just taking time out of your busy day to hang out with two guys just talking football. So we uh, really appreciate it. And uh, again, just it's always fun talking to you because it's just like whenever there, I swear to God, when there was an urban, when that story broke, I literally said to Clem, we got to get Taylor on the show. Oh my God. Yeah. Must. I said, it's an absolute must. I texted well, him. We have to get Taylor on the show. Well, it was funny enough too, when I was talking to Taylor throughout the day yesterday and she was like, Oh, I can't wait, you know, more urban Meyer rants. And I was like, yes, that's yeah. what we want. We want urban Meyer rants. <laughs> Like I said, you're on our speed dial when we're ready to have fun at Urban Meyer's expense. All right. And then obviously end of the season when it's Jags Jets. Yeah. I might even try to go to that game this year if I can, even if it's the day after Christmas. I figure tickets will be dirt cheap by then. So Yeah, probably. (laughs) I have uh, Bears Bucks in Tampa this weekend, so wish me luck. Yeah. you know, just just cheer for Justin. Do the best. You <laughs> yeah, that's all. You know. Progress. <laughs> all right, Taylor. Thanks again so much. We can't wait to have you on again in the near future. All right. Guys. All right. Take Bye. care. That is the one and only Taylor Dahl. You can check out her show. She's co-host of the Helmets and Heels show. Tuesday nights, uh, I think it's 6 to 10 p.m. on the 1010XL Jacksonville radio. Um, like we said, she is the first person we call, Clem. When she we like on at Urban Meyer's expense. Oh, it was, and again, like every other Taylor interview we had, it never never fails to be funny, never fails to be great. That's the first thing I said. I'm like, dude, you got to text Taylor. We got to get Taylor back on the show. <laughs> so, but again, thank you again to Taylor Dahl. We can't wait to have you on again in the near future. All right, Clem, let's um, let's backtrack a bit. Okay. Because we didn't have a show on Monday and everything, and but we've. So the last show we had was when Christine was on last week, which, by the way, you can check out that interview on Apple Podcasts right now, as well as Spotify. If you like and subscribe, just give us a five-star review. We have interviews with a lot of awesome people. We have past interviews with Taylor Dahl. We have past interviews with the one and only Jake Asman of The Jake Asman Show. Christine Wen's been on our show about two or three times already. If you're a hockey guy, especially in New York, we have a lot of we have had a few interviews with Andrew Gross, who covers the New York Islanders for Newsday, and Colin Stevenson, who covers the Rangers for Newsday. So definitely check out all of our past interviews. And if you're a wrestling fan, we always have them on. We love having them on. We have past interviews with the Pisano brothers of the What's Wrong with Wrestling podcast, which by the way, I listened to because it was before Crown Jewel. So I listened to it today and I couldn't stop laughing. I thought they were, I thought they were it's so good. It, the, raw, the raw recaps are what killed me the most. Like, I think they're absolutely hysterical. No, because like it, it'll go from, okay, you know, 
SmackDown was decent, you know, and then like and then it was like Raw was just so bad. Yeah. <laughs> and it's every week, and I love the soundboard they have. It's every, everything about the Russell Wrestling guys. I even listened to their new podcast, the uh, Hollywood Hogwash. I haven't listened to it yet. It's solid. It's yeah. very good. I like it. It's like you know, I hit the button like same old Monday Night Raw. <laughs> rematch after rematch after <laughs> rematch. So, so good. Uh, but you know, to all of our new, this is a new platform. So you know, again, if you want, you could subscribe to our podcast, courtesy of Apple Podcasts, and like and comment and give us a five star review. Check out all of our shows, and uh, trust me, we have a lot of fun doing this. And uh, the main reason is we don't take ourselves very seriously as other shows do. <laughs> so, all right, Clem, let's backtrack because, you know, it's Thursday. So we're really more into week seven than we were into week six. And uh, so we'll just kind of do a brief run through. We'll get into some baseball stuff as well. We'll get into uh, the MLB playoffs. We'll get into uh, some Mets news, some Yankee, you know, some Yankee news. Uh, we haven't really talked about the Yankees since they got eliminated from the wild card by the Boston Red Sox. And uh, we'll get into a few other things as well. To close out the show, we're going to look at former Jets and how they're doing this season. Okay. We have a little fun with that because they all suck with the exception of Leonard Williams. But, all right, so getting to – we'll do football real quickly. We're going to just put the Jets and Giants in the same same field. So Giants suffer a brutal loss against the Rams on Sunday. They lose 38-11 to on the day that they honor the Super Bowl champion Giants with Eli Manning and Tom Coughlin and – uh, a lot of former Giants came to uh, came to MetLife, and it turned out to be pretty much a bust from the get-go. Um, this is why I always tell people you got to get off the hype train. This is why I tell people you got to, you know, the minute Daniel Jones does really well, he's freaking Danny Dimes, right, Clem? Oh, yeah. Danny Dimes, the minute he does well, okay? And this is what I'm talking about, and I hope I'm pissing people off right now. I hope people comment right now on the YouTube feed. Okay, because fans are a bunch of front runners. It's what they are. It's what they do best. When Daniel Jones is going is throwing three touchdowns, no picks. Here come the videos. Oh, Danny Dimes and Maggie Gray calling him Danny Dimes. I can't stand, by the way. I love Maggie Gray. I just can't. I can't stand that she keeps calling him Danny Dimes. Okay, but then he has a game like he did on Sunday where he couldn't even hold on to the football without fumbling it and throwing bad picks and everything. And just like that. Daniel Jones is not the franchise quarterback anymore. That it's it, it's so it's Giants fans are so in and out it's on Daniel fan. Jones. It's it's Jet fans. It's it's and we'll get to them in a minute. Trust me. So the thing is, is that the Giants are what they are. Okay. Last year, again, we've always said this too, and I've always been the firm person of you know don't sleep on the Giants. I'm not making them a Super Bowl team. I'm just saying don't sleep on the Giants. Because they have potential to be very good. But the reason why this season for them, you can't label it as like a rebuilding year or this, is because they spent money this offseason. Right. Besides having Saquon Barkley, besides having Daniel Jones, you know, they give Leonard Williams a $63 million contract. They give Kenny Galladay $72 million over four years. He's barely stayed on the field. They give um, – uh, who am I missing? Adoree Jackson. Adoree Jackson. Thank you. You know, they gave him a three-year deal. They give Lo- they bring back Logan Ryan, and they look terrible. And it's the same yeah. coaching staff. Last year, Patrick Graham was this can't-miss defensive coordinator. He's a phenomenal defensive coordinator and, and everything. 
his defense is getting shredded. They are yeah, getting it, destroyed. It's bad because especially like you said, like we watched last year's team and this Giants defense was one of the most underrated defenses in the league, and it was so good last year. Like it was it was incredible watching this Giants defense play. And then, like you said, you figured you bring back Logan Ryan. You add a good cornerback like a Dory Jackson to the team. You figured, oh, okay, they'll take a step forward this on this defense. No, that's the complete even, opposite. They stink. Even freaking James Bradbury's getting beat. You know, he hasn't really been that effective. You know, the pass rush has been okay. Leonard, Leonard Williams has been fine. You know, I don't consider him a bust right now. He has three sacks on the season. You know, maybe he went – buck wild last year with 11 but you know you kind of had to expect a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a letdown but it looks even worse because joe judge can't even get this team motivated mm-hmm. did you hear like the story about halftime when he challenged no, them not. to come out you know ch- he basically challenged the team to come out and you know fight and do this and do that and they got outscored in the second half 10 to 8 10 to 8 they got outscored okay it's bad. And the thing is, again, you know, Gettleman put a lot of money into this roster. It wasn't like he just took a bunch of kids like what Douglas is doing with the Jets. You know, he gave Nate Solder big money. He gave, you know, he drafted Andrew Thomas, who's looking more and more like a bust. Saquon Barkley can't stay healthy. You already knew that Kenny Galladay had health issues. Because last year he didn't, he didn't play a lot. I don't remember how many games he played last year, but he didn't play a lot of games. And he's already out. He's out again on Sunday. You know, and then you could forgive all that, but then you have a discipline problem because then you have Kadarius Tony tra- taking swings at Cowboys players on the on the sideline mm-hmm. or on, on the field. The thing is, is it's not working, and now comes a very big st- sticking point because if you fire Joe Judge and you fire first of all, if Dave Gettleman gets fired, Joe Judge is getting fired. But then it is, what do you do with Daniel Jones? Because with right. all due respect, Daniel Jones has not been bad. No, He's he hasn't. Like, he had a bad game against the Rams. The Rams are a very good football team. Okay? But what do you do with him? Is a coach going to want to grow with Daniel Jones? Or, yeah, or is it going to be kind of a start-over process? Because, well, right, yeah, I think things are just abysmally bad. And then on top of that, as if that wasn't bad enough with the with their play on the field, Leonard Williams picks a fight you should never pick if you're a football player. And that is he picks a fight with the fans because the fans are booing at MetLife Stadium. And he doesn't like the boos. Okay, well, I mean, I would think you were used to them when you played for the Jets. Okay, But at the end of the day, it's like the last thing you want to do is deflect from how bad your team is playing and go after the fan base. Because, yeah. look, I think fans are annoying. I think fans' expectations are through the roof every time about everything. That being said, they buy the tickets. They buy the merch. Okay? If it wasn't for the season ticket holders, honestly, they wouldn't have the money to buy go buy you. So I don't have an issue with the fans booing. What I have an issue with the fans doing is, like, if they throw shit on the field, then I have a problem. Yeah. Okay? The booing, that's fine with me because, you know what? Let them express themselves. They should express themselves on the team. Leonard Williams doesn't understand that a lot of fans, a lot of Giant fans, a lot of Jet fans, 
come all the way from New York, like Long Island, wherever, to go watch them play at MetLife Stadium. And every day, imagine going home and you lose, like you went, you just paid big money to watch the team lose 38 to 11 to the Rams. That is a that is not a pleasant ride home for Giant fans. So Giant, I've done that car ride home. It's it's yeah, not fun. <laughs> okay. And Giant fans, I feel your pain because I'm a Jet fan and Clem's a Jet fan. So we know what losing's all about. But that being said, Leonard Williams, the last thing he should be doing right now is picking a fight with the fan base. Yeah, and like we so we I saw this with when with the Mets when Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez did it. The reason the that Giants fans are booing you guys as as Giants players is because last year, like I just mentioned earlier, last year they were one of the better defenses in the NFL. Surprisingly, like no one expected it, and now you come in this year, you like you mentioned, Craig. They extend Leonard Williams. They sign a guy like a Dory Jackson. They sign back Logan Ryan. You expect it be like, oh shit, getting like, Saquon you, back, getting yeah, you're getting Saquon back, receiving core, Galladay. Shepard, Slayton, Ross, Engram, who's been a colossal bust, and they should have got rid of him already. Not to mention the fact, where the hell's Kyle Rudolph been? Yeah. Rudolph was a big signing for them. I mean, I think they got him on a one-year deal, but he's still a big signing. Where are these guys? And the thing is, again, they just it's not even a case of whether they look unprepared. It's that we really believe that their defense was going to be really strong this year, especially after they went out and got a Dory Jackson. In a way, that was kind of the missing piece. Exactly. You were, you were pretty much set at your pass rush. Losing Blake Martinez was a tough, that's a brutal loss. I, I don't, you know, getting a, you know, he was definitely arguably their best player on the defense. But the thing is, is that, again, it's just these no-show performances. And now Daniel Jones goes back to being ordinary. You know, I'm not going to say that, the you know, he got his bell rung against Dallas. And he couldn't even make it to the – he couldn't make it off the field without falling down. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that anything to do with it, but it is concerning. Saquon has injury issues again. Can you really commit to this guy long term? Because I don't think you can. I don't think you can. No matter how hard you try, you can't. You know, and even to even go off that, like, I think Dave Gettleman is fired at the end of the season because when you look back at it, the Giants had the chance to draft. You know, I, obviously, they, I don't know if they would have drafted. Go. Everybody, everybody's got to go. That means Graham's got to go unless you want to promote him to head coach. But Judge has to go. Garrett has to go. But here's the question, Clem. Is two years enough time? Is two years enough time for a coach to really prove himself? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if two years is enough time. We run these guys out of town so quickly. We never really see what they can do. Right now, to me, Joe Judge is disappointing. He's a very disappointing coach. The team is not playing. You know, they don't seem to be playing hard for him. They, I'm not even sure if they like him. And... You know, you're kind of seeing some brain-dead situations on the field with timeouts and all that stuff. But, you know, right now, it's it's just – if you're a Giant fan, you have to be really troubled because, again, they put a lot of money into this roster. And, again, like when you drafted a guy like Saquon Barkley, second overall, when at that situation you needed a quarterback and you had Sam Darnold, 
Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and I know he, but at the time, Josh Rosen. You had all four of those quarterbacks in there, yeah. but you chose to go running back and then draft Daniel Jones the next year. So a lot he, of people believe that Daniel Jones was drafted too high. He was drafted in the top 10. He wasn't a top 10 quarterback from in a lot of people's eyes. You know, and again, it, this is what should trouble you about what's going on with this team. Because you have all these studs. It's not like you have a bunch of rookies out there. It's not the Jets. Okay? The Jets at least get a little bit of a pass because it's an incredibly young roster. The Giants have veterans, you know, solid veterans. This defense really hasn't changed much from last year. I know they lost Blake Martinez for the season. But they have the same defensive coordinator. And they have the, literally the same personnel with the exception of a Dory Jackson and maybe losing Dalvin Tomlinson. But exactly. No, I was going to say exactly. Because... Be, it's embarrassing. And you're on your home field. You know, you came out of the game good, but it just fell apart so fast. And then when Judge was challenging them in the set in the half, if I didn't know any better, I thought they quit. Yeah, it's again like you can't tell me as a spectator, not a Giants fan, but as a spectator who likes football, you can't tell me that Blake Martinez was that crucial to your defense. Where he was, he was really in reality. You look at it; he was the only one really injured. There's no one. There's no real injuries on this defense except for him. You can't tell me that losing him was in their secondary loaded. Exactly, Jackson, Bradbury, Peppers, Xavier McKinney, second round pick, Ryan. Five guys right there that can make up for Blake Martinez. Even Julian Love, too. Julian Love's a solid corner. But it just gets, you know, even a guy like Aziz Ojolari's been having a good season for them as a pass rusher. I don't know what's wrong with the Giants right now. I mean, listen, they got their doors blown off by Dallas. That was a game that went out of control, spiraled out of control quickly because honestly, the, the injuries they couldn't keep up with. Yeah. Barkley got hurt. Tony got. Tony aggravated an injury and then aggravated it again against the Rams. Galladay got hurt. Everybody was hurt. Then Daniel Jones took that hit and was just, you know, that picture alone should scare the shit out of me. We had someone, we had a comment on YouTube. Maybe now Haskins doesn't look too bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't. Who knows? But <laughs> I mean, but. But that's what I mean, though. It's just, you know, but then it, it leads me to my next question, though. Do teams even want to take the time to develop these guys? Like, do they want to take the time? Like Dwayne Haskins. What was the – coming out of college, the number one thing about him was he was raw. He needed time. But teams don't have – either they don't feel they have the time or they don't want to make the time to develop these guys. Right, right. And that's why ultimately Haskins failed. I mean, he was an idiot too with off the field stuff, but I'm saying in general, you know, that the first year with Washington, you know, I think he was trying to rally the troops a little bit and the players just didn't care because they didn't want to play for Jay Gruden. But then after that, Rivera didn't want him. Rivera didn't want him. He did not want him. That's why he brought in Kyle Allen, who was a complete bust. But and you're kind of seeing the same thing in Miami, just like we asked with Taylor. 
do the Dolphins really feel committed to Tua? Do you think that they're committed to Tua when a week after they lose to the Jaguars, here come all the stories about Deshaun Watson? I, I don't think they are. Like You saw they were committed last year to Tua when they were on a hot streak and they benched Ryan Fitzpatrick for Tua, and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, the Dolphins stink! Like, why would the hell would they do that? And now I think that I didn't. I think that put the sour taste in their mouth. And now you're looking at it that he has the keys to the he has the keys to the bus for the for the Miami Dolphins, and it's not looking too good. I mean, like, I, I, it's another thing I can't really figure out. But the thing is, like, this roster is poorly constructed by Gettleman. Yeah. Because again, now look. They have all the pieces, and then it became a question of Daniel Jones. I mean, Daniel Jones has had his good and bad games. He hasn't been great, but he hasn't been. He's not the reason why they're bad. No, Dan, I honestly think up like until Daniel last Jones week. Played, listen, Daniel Jones played well against the Saints. He played well against the uh, Washington football team, and he had another decent game. I mean, maybe not. I think Dallas. He wasn't bad, but then he got hurt. But, I was say up until last week's game, really, Daniel Jones has looked solid this whole year. And I just and again, but it's I think you're going to run this kid out of town, and you're never going to truly know what you have. And the thing is, now in the NFL, there's not a lot of starting jobs out there. So right. Daniel Jones is going to get relegated to backup duty, and then he's going to, and then he's never going to develop into a good player. I, I just think that right now, like the way this roster is constructed, is a mess. And I think they, you know, they spent big and, and everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Giants felt they were on the cusp of something. And I, I don't necessarily disagree. They play in an incredibly weak division. But it's just a case of right now, your defense is getting destroyed. It's not even about the offense anymore. It's about the defense. And the defense mm-hmm. with all these guys like Leonard Williams and Aziz Ojolari and that secondary, they are getting crushed. And now you go into a game on Sunday, and it's a must-win. I mean, I don't think the Giants have a playoff chance anyway, but you're playing the, the Carolina Panthers. Sam's coming back to MetLife. He probably has a chip on his shoulder. Are the Giants going to be prepared to win? You might get a sense of how they really feel about Joe Judge if they pull another no-show on Sunday. You might. Now, as for the Jets, they had a bye week. And, look, Everybody's going to piss on the Jets, especially the fans, because, of course, the fans set their expectations way too high. And when the minute they don't get them, like we said to Taylor, they're doing YouTube videos, you know, basically whining about being a Jets fan. Okay, it's never ending. And like I said before, if you know that the team is going to be bad and you know that this is nothing more than a rebuilding year, I mean, let's call it what it is. They weren't going to beat Buffalo for the division. They're not beating Buffalo. Not going to happen. Okay? So if you know all this, then why are you so surprised by the result? Why are you so surprised that the Jets are 1-5 and five or 1-4? and four? Why are you so surprised that a young, the, mo- the youngest team in the NFL is going through growing pains of being poor on offense? I mean, isn't this what it's all about? Because there's a lot to like about this Jets team right now, Clem. At least I there think is. I think you have some good young pieces. You finally have a pass rush. I mean, when was the last time we could say that? 
JFM, three sacks. Quinn, Quinn and Williams, almost four sacks already this year. They're getting pressure from everybody. Bryce Huff has a few sacks already this year. Quincy Williams, too. Quincy Williams has been terrific. Another solid waiver wire pickup by Joe Douglas. All we want to see is progress. But the problem with that is it takes time. The Jets are going to grow by game. They're not going to be able to just flip the switch week one and they're going to tear up Carolina. It takes time. Unfortunately, coming out of the bye, you got to go to New England, which is not an easy place to play. But the Patriots aren't really that good either. They're beatable. They are definitely beatable, in my opinion. They are two and four on the season. They can be beat. The key is going to be how do you come out of the gate on the bye, after the bye? Is this offense going to be guns blazing? Okay. For all the Jet fans who were, you know, but this goes to show you, Clem. Ready? Here's what I'm talking about. We've talked about this a few times. Since we're on a new platform, which is now on YouTube and Twitch, we're going to bring it up again. This is a fan base that all last year complained about not having depth at receiver. Right, Clem? Right. How many times we hear it on whatever radio show, whatever it was? Oh, we got to start Josh Malone. We got to start Chris Hogan. This is ridiculous and everything. You finally get the depth you've been wanting. Okay. You finally get Corey Davis and Keelan Cole and Elijah Moore. This year alone, three new weapons right there. Jet fans were complaining about, oh, you can't cut Jamison Crowder. Or, Why would you do that? He's been a phenomenal Jet. So they keep Jamison Crowder. And then, but this is what I'm saying, Clem, ready? This is why I say Jets fans are always happy when they're miserable. All right? But here's the best part. Nope, that's not good enough. Now I need to bitch and moan as to why Denzel Mims isn't playing enough. Or Elijah Moore is not playing. Why aren't we getting Elijah Moore the ball more? You have three guys, veterans on this team that have done nothing to warrant getting sick. Keelan Cole has made some big catches. Corey Davis has been terrific as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You know, has he had some drops? Sure. I mean, I hate drops, but he's had them. What, what, what can we do? Crowder's been a good jet from the minute they signed him. Why should those guys lose their rotate, lose their spots? Oh, you're right. And like I, I want to see Denzel Mims and Elijah Moore play as much as the next guy. And I think they will. I think they'll, they'll their time is due. I still believe in Denzel Mims, and I obviously want to see Elijah Moore get play. But again, like you said, Craig, like Corey Davis, Jameson Crowder, and the, the past few weeks, Keelan Cole have all earned spots on this team where it's like, okay, I can't take them out. They're hot right now. And I get there was a lot of hype around Denzel Mims on Elijah Moore when we drafted them. And there was a lot of hype over last year in Denzel Mims when he played, and he looked good in the games he played last year. And there was a lot of hype in about Elijah Moore in camp, about him arguably being one of our top wide receivers in camp. But their time will come. They're very young. I, I'm, I'm patient on it because our wide receiver core right now is looking fantastic with what, what, with what it's been doing. Exactly. But this is what they are. They're a young team. See, I think next year, 2022, is when you're going to see more Elijah Moore and you're going to see more Denzel Mims. That's why Douglas doesn't want to trade him. I think he's got plans for him for next year. Yeah. Okay? 
Michael Carter in the backfield with Ty Johnson, the youth movement in the backfield. Hopefully they get Becton back in a couple of weeks. That might help the run game a little bit more. This defense, I think, has played well above expectations. I know they had a, didn't have a good game against Atlanta, but I think overall they've been a strong unit. The young secondary, I think, has grown up very well. Again, mm-hmm. didn't have a great game against Atlanta, but they've played really well. Bryce Hall is one of the top one of the, not one of the top corners in the league. Let me that might have overblown, but he has not given up a red zone reception yet this year. He's one of four yeah. cornerbacks right now that has not done that. Michael He's Carter. Really good. Michael Carter has been terrific in the slot. Okay, you're going to get Marcus May back on Sunday, which is a, which is good news. You know, you're getting Ashton Davis now up and running. The other cornerback spot with Eccles and Isaiah Dunn, I think, has held its own for the most part. C.J. Mosley's been very good in the middle. They have a pass rush again. You definitely see the solid footprint on that pass rush. Q's already got close to four sacks. JFM has three sacks already this year. You know, Quincy Williams has been a solid contributor. Bryce Huff has been very good. But it needs time. It's like a fine wine. It has to age. That's what it does. But if you're already demanding results after two games and you're already ready to run Zach Wilson out of town, then you're a front-running Jets fan. Yeah. You're a front-running Jets fan because there's no hope for you. You're never going to be satisfied with this team. You're never going to be satisfied with the decisions they make. You know, for all the people who shit on Joe Douglas, Joe Douglas has actually made some pretty good decisions. He has. He really has. And while it may not reflect in the win-loss column, the fact is, is there's a lot to like about what he's done. First of all, I wouldn't get rid of him mainly because the guy gets top value for crappy players, which we'll get into towards the end of the show. I mean, think about that. This guy gets third and fourth round picks for guys who don't deserve to get third and fourth round picks for it's not his fault that Kyle, Carl Lawson ruptured his Achilles tendon. That's not Douglas's fault. But what are you going to do? You're going to go back to, well, he signed Greg Van Roden. He traded for Kalen Ballage. You know, like, again, it's all nitpickiness. He gave Corey Davis. Corey Davis already has a 100-yard game and three touchdowns to start the season. He's on his way to a 1,000-yard season. But you have to give it time. He finally got weapons for Zach Wilson, for a quarterback. He finally got you offensive weapons. But those weapons take time. All I really want to see out of the Jets again this week is just this Sunday, just play hard. Yep. Not firing. That's the number one thing. Because honestly, there's nothing else really wrong with this team. There's nothing else really wrong. You're right. It's the case of you need to start sustaining longer offensive drives. That's the only thing that's impeding the Jets from success. Because I think the defense has played well, especially with the fact that they weren't expected to be very good. The secondary has played well. There's a lot to like about this team, but it's going to take time. But if you keep shitting on the franchise every week because they're not living up to your lofty expectations, you're never going to be satisfied with what they're doing. Right. You're never going to see the forest for the trees. You're never going to just see what, what they're trying to build. You know, they trade up. 
They trade the first pick they get with the Jamal Adams trade is Elijah Vera Tucker, who's one of the top guards in the league. But they're still finding things to complain about. When does it end? It never will for, for a Jets fan. And the thing is, at the trade deadline, I expect Jamison Crowder to be traded. I expect Marcus May to be traded. I don't think Douglas wants Maybach, especially after the DUI arrest. Probably. You know, because you know JD doesn't stand for that shit. Yeah. He doesn't take crap. Jamal Adams was being a douche. Hey, gone. See ya. He got two ones and a three for him. If that is the fleecing of the year who for, for a guy who, by the way, does not have an interception in a year and a half in Seattle. He looks so bad there. Oh, my God. Just give it time, guys. Give it time. Keep making your stupid YouTube videos whining and bitching and moaning about being a Jets fan. Well, again, there's no hope. And you know who said that? This is why I like the guy who took over from Manish at the Daily News. Mm-hmm. He was on the Badlands podcast with Joe Caparoso and uh, Connor Rogers, who actually their their show is awesome. And he basically called Jet fans like front runners. He basically said they're a bunch of front running fans because they just don't see things the way that other people see them. They just they see it as Zach should be Tom Brady by now. The minute Robert Sala walks in the door, culture changed. We're going to be fifteen and one or sixteen and one this year. They set their expectations too high. And that's why they're let down so much. That's why they're always complaining on sports radio. That's why they're always making their YouTube videos complaining about the franchise and how pathetic they are. And when does it end? When does it end, Clem? Because I don't know. It never will. It never will. I'm pretty sure it's ingrained in all Jets fans' minds that you have to be miserable your whole time while being a Jets fan. All right, let's jump to baseball. We'll talk about the Yankees. We haven't really talked about the Yankees since they got eliminated by the Boston Red Sox because we had Christine on and we had a few other things going on, so we weren't able to talk about it. But um, the big news of the week was Aaron Boone got a three-year extension to remain in New York as the manager with a club option for a fourth year, which, quite frankly, didn't sit too well with the fan base. And um, I guess they felt he should have been fired. But I guess my question at that point is, who would you have hired? It's it's tough to say nowadays, you know, because but is it his fault? Yes and no to an extent. Okay. I I just because you know I I I, I was I was never big on the Boone hiring in general. Like I never liked, I never thought that them firing Girardi was the right move because the guy was nine innings away from the World Series and you decided to go in a different direction because because of the way Joe Girardi is. So you brought the yes man in, in, in Aaron Boone. And sure, two out of the past three seasons, he's brought you 100-plus wins. Two, two of them have been 100-plus win seasons. But he hasn't gone to the World Series. It's, 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 it's not a good look core, for Aaron the Boone. Core is, the core is it needs to be broken up. You're right. Aaron Boone should have gotten this team to the World Series. I don't disagree with that. At the same time, I can't kill Aaron Boone the way other people do because it's not Aaron Boone's fault that the Yankees don't hit in the postseason. It's not Aaron Boone's fault that the Yankees don't play well in the postseason anymore. It's not 
Aaron Boone's fault that your $324 million pitcher can't get out of the third inning in a wild card game. These are not Aaron Boone's fault. None of this is Aaron Boone's fault. Yes, do I think the team should be better? Sure. But this team has terribly underachieved. Terribly underachieved. And, you know, you got to, you know, Judge definitely deserves a new contract, and I think the Yankees will get him locked up. Stanton is finally, you know, he finally had a year where he lived up to the $325 million contract he signed originally with Miami before he got traded to the Yankees. But there were a lot of disappointing players on this team. Mm-hmm. Glaber Torres was a disaster. DJ LeMahieu did not have a great season. Luke Voigt was hurt probably 75% of the season. Gary Sanchez continues to be an enigma at catcher. Yeah, he hits you 20 home runs, but he only hits 203. And his defense is horrible. You know, I like Urshela. I thought Urshela Urshela had a little bit of a down year this year. Aaron Hicks got hurt again. And you're stuck with him for another four years or five years. You can't rely on Brett Gardner to play, you know, every game at 38 years old. You know, the one guy I feel the most sorry for is Clint Frazier. Because he finally got a chance to play. And then, you know, he has the scary issue with the concussions. His career might be over. Not to mention the fact, Garrett Cole, I'm not saying he was a bust, but he wasn't as elite as he should have been. And I don't want any Yankee fan to ever put him in the same breath as Jacob DeGrom. It's never going to happen. He is not nearly as good as Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, Jacob DeGrom got hurt last year. I know. When Garrett Cole wins back-to-back Cy Young Awards, then come talk to me about who, how good Garrett Cole is. And the fact is, in a big spot in the postseason, which is what you paid him to do, he failed. And yep. he failed miserably. No, you're absolutely right. Miserably. This, There's this, no escaping that. He cannot escape that. And now the bigger story becomes how much of that spider tech crap was really beneficial to his season, to his right. career. It's not even about that one game. When they took that substance away, Garrett Cole was a different pitcher. Still he still pitched well, but he wasn't as lights out as he was. And he was showing signs of being hittable. Like he was still he was still a solid pitcher, but he wasn't Garrett Cole, you know. So it, like something changed, and it it might have been that it might have been that tactic. Who knows? But again, that's what the what the Yankees were in this season with in that wild card spot. That is the exact reason why you bought you you paid all that money to a guy like Garrett Cole is so he can he can take you deep into innings, seven eight innings in that situation, and dominate the Boston Red Sox. What happened? No. And I like Garrett Cole. I'm not bashing Garrett Cole whatsoever. I like Garrett Cole. I love him a lot. But he should be better than this. That's exactly this. Exactly he should be better. You did not pay $324 million over nine years for a pitcher who only got you to the third inning. Because if that's what you were really looking for, you could have saved your money and just thrown Chad Green out there in a bullpen close bullpen by committee game. That's where Yankee fans should be really frustrated with Garrett Cole. Corey Kluber, listen, I know he threw the no-hitter this year. 
$11 million. He missed two and a half months with an injury. Wasn't the most effective pitcher when he came back. Tyon was actually pretty decent in the second half of the season compared to the first. Severino keep having setback after setback. To be honest, the, probably the most underrated pitcher they had on their roster was Nestor Cortez. He was solid. He was very good. Maybe even has a shot at maybe I don't know if he has a shot at the rotation next year because my my spidey sense tells me that they're going to be going after they're going to be spending money this offseason. But the fact is, is fans' anger is misguided towards Boone. Cashman, I can understand your frustration. Traded for Joey Gallo, who really was just a horrible pickup for them. Good defense, but couldn't hit the ball. It was either strikeout or home run with Gallo. Rizzo came out of the gate smoking when he got to the Yankees. Then he tapered off after COVID, when he got COVID. Wasn't necessarily the same exact hitter, although he still was effective. I don't know if the Yankees consider bringing him back. They might. Cashman has some has some serious thinking to do about some of these players. Glaber Torres is a guy that I think needs to go. Because it's not that Glaber Torres was a bad player. He was a lazy player. Mm-hmm. I found him to be very lazy, not running out of the batter's box. Lazy, taking his time, fielding a ground ball to throw to first where the hitter beat it out. Error after error. And then on top of that, his bat didn't make up for it. That's a pretty yeah. bad combination. No, it definitely is. And especially where just a couple of years ago, this guy was talking about being a potential MVP of baseball. Like, he, I forgot what year it was, 2018 or 2019, he was having a, he had a great year. Fantastic yeah. year. And now he comes back these past few years, and it's like, and that's, you're not the Glaber Torres I know. And that's the problem. Sanchez has not lived up to the expectations. He is not. He hits for crappy average. He's not a good defensive catcher. He's lazy at the plate. I mean, the Mets game should tell you all you need to know when VR went around when the tag, you know, to touch home plate. Yeah. That was an easy out. He had him dead to rights. But the problem is there's no good catchers on the market. You may have, you have no choice but to probably suck it up with Sanchez for another year. Yeah. And by that time, his value is going to be clearly gone. Let's talk about the fact that Zach Britton is probably not going to be back next year because of Tommy John surgery. Or the fact that Araldus Chapman looks hittable. Chad Green, to me, was an overrated pitcher last year. He was not good in relief. He blew a few, quite a few games for them. Pitched well in spots, but for the most part, he didn't. Herman wasn't really that great last year. I mean, this was an all-around disappointment. And then on top of that, you got waxed by the Red Sox in the wild card game. Oh, yeah. Well, the what, what did the Yankees win, 92 games this year? No, they didn't. It wasn't the, the normal Yankees we've been used to. Like but I said, the yeah, But again... Home field advantage. They had home field advantage for the wild card. And Tampa came in and beat the shit out of them for two games. And just like that, they lost it. It came down. And they had to win the last game on an infield single by Aaron Judge. An infield single. They win one nothing. If that was a team that didn't look like was stumbling into the postseason, I don't know what was. 
So they got a lot of work to do this offseason, but I can anticipate them spending money. I think they're totally in on a guy like Trevor Story to play shortstop. I don't know who's available pitching-wise, but I'm sure they'll be in the market for a starter of some kind. You know, they have to fix the bullpen a little bit. They have to replace, you know, there's certain guys they have to replace. So funny thing is that Keith came up with a trade offer, and it wasn't a bad trade offer. It was, but I don't think the Orioles would do it. It was with the Orioles, where they would trade Jordan Montgomery, Davey Garcia, and Aaron Hicks mm-hmm. for Cedric Mullins. No. And I said, it's not a terrible trade, okay? But if I was Baltimore, there is no way that I'm taking Aaron Hicks's contract back. Yep. That now I would say that was the deal breaker for me because if, if I, I don't want any parts. I like Aaron Hicks a lot. When he's healthy, he's a solid player. Not but that's the thing. He's, he's, he's never healthy. That's the thing. He's never healthy, and he has such a big contract. I, I, I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole. And the thing is, is that, you know, they need pitching. So Montgomery makes sense. Davey Garcia makes sense. But I can't take back Hicks's contract. It doesn't fit what I'm trying to do in Baltimore, which, quite frankly, I don't know what it is they're trying to do in Baltimore. But they have to figure out a way to fix this roster. I'm not really sure where it's going to come from, though. Now, segueing to the Mets – the Mets seem to be having a hard time finding someone to take the job of mm-hmm. president of baseball operations. Theo Epstein basically had a meeting with Cohen and said that it wasn't a good fit. Billy Bean took his name out of the out of the running, and the Brewers denied them permission to speak to David Stearns. Then there was some crazy story going around about the Mets possibly trading Francisco Alvarez to the Brewers to get David Stearns as their new base president of baseball operations, which the Cardinal sin is you never trade a player for an executive. Yep. Okay. And you sure as hell better not trade Francisco Alvarez for him. So, but it begs the question, Clem, are GM candidates being scared off by Steve Cohen and his Twitter, you know, his Twitter presence, not to mention what is Sandy Alderson's role with this team? Moving yeah, forward, I don't, I don't know because it was almost like from, but prior to what Billy Bean said, like said about not coming to the Mets, it was almost like assumed that Billy Bean was going to be the next GM of this team because oh he had ties to he has ties to Sandy Alderson and this and that and blah 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 blah, blah all this stuff and we we're like okay. I'm I'm okay with Billy. I mean, like I'd rather not have Billy Bean, but I'm okay with it if that's if that's the case. But then he came out and it's like, oh shit! Like we're wrong. Billy, think about it like this, though. If you know that Sandy's there, like if you're Theo Epstein, Theo Epstein is expecting full control, right? Like basically, Sandy, go push a pencil somewhere else. I'm running this team. You're staying out of the way. End of story. Something tells me that Sandy has a role in this. He's in Cohen's ear. And a GM candidate is not going to want that. It's not going to want that. If you want to get a really good GM candidate, it's got to be you run the show. I'm going to step out and enjoy my billions. But if the team's not performing, 
I'm going to, I'm going to rip you a new asshole. And that's my point, Clem. What are the Mets doing wrong here? Why is Sandy so involved in this? Or are GMs just scared off by the fact that if the team is on a losing streak, Steve Cohen's going to take to Twitter and it's going to cause a distraction for the GM to make the right moves. Steve Cohen's little, hey, fans be the GM moment on Twitter might play well to the social media crowd, but to an executive who's trying to run the team, it looks it looks bad. It looks like you're undermining the guy's intelligence. Yeah, it does. It's not a good look when Steve Cohen does that, but I, I generally have no idea what what it is, who's, why, why like GM people are scared to come here because – you know, you figured Theo Epstein. What what a nice way it would be to add to. You know, he got the Red Sox out of helped get the Red Sox out of their their streak. The Cubs the, adding the Mets to that resume would be just a fantastic thing for Theo Epstein. And the fact that he doesn't want it is is okay. Like I get it. You don't want to be well, Theo. May just, listen, Theo may have it made in the shade. I mean, but again, it could be maybe he wanted part ownership of the team. That was like that was one of the rumors going around to get Theo. But I have a feeling, man, that Alderson's playing a role that we don't know about. Mm-hmm. Not really being very privy to, or they're not making people privy to. And I think that that's what's scaring people away, is that all this guy's decisions are going to have to go through Alderson. And for a team that is now the, has the richest owner in baseball, like we said in past shows, wasn't like they really spent hundreds of millions of dollars last year. On free agents, yeah, they traded for Lindor. They traded for Lindor, but then they gave him a deal. But outside of that, the only two guys that they really signed that were big signings were McCann mm-hmm. and Trevor May. Pilar and VR were basically one-year contracts. What is the Mets' strategy going into this season, this offseason? Now, there's already rumblings that they're – they could be close on an extension with Javi Baez. So that's what I'm talking about. You can't hire, you haven't been able to hire a president of baseball operations, but you're negotiating with free agents that this guy may not want. This guy may not want Javi Baez there. Maybe it doesn't fit what this guy's vision of the team is. Right. It, yeah. It's like, who is making these decisions? Is it, is it Sandy Alderson? Is it Steve Cohen? Who is it? And we don't even have a GM. I really don't have a manager either right now. Sandy Alderson should have been fired after the Zach Scott situation. Yes. It was bad enough that he hired Jared Porter, and they didn't do their real good due diligence on this. And then Zach Scott gets caught sleeping in his car at four in the morning drunk. These were on Sandy's watch. Why is Sandy getting a pass for this? Yeah, it's not only one guy who fucked up. Two guys under his watch fucked up. Like, But that's what's scaring me, and this is why I didn't want Sandy Olsen anywhere near this franchise for that exact reason. Because I feel like, and that's another thing that scares me about Cohen, and I love Steve Cohen. I do. You know, we love the fact that the Mets finally have an owner who's willing to spend money. But here's my question. Is his fandom going to get in the way of making sound business decisions? Mm-hmm. We, you and I have both said we don't want Michael Conforto back. Well, what does Cohen think of him? Does Cohen think he's a good guy? 
Is that something that Boris can use as leverage for Conforto to negotiate with Cohen and Sandy? That's what worries me about having a fanboy as your owner. Is the fandom is going to get in the way of legitimate business. Right. That's my concern. I mean, look, we it's tough. It really is tough right now for the Mets because it's like we're not in a rebuilding stage, but we're not in a, hey, let's tear everything down stage either, you know? So I think fans Fans will tolerate. They won't tolerate another re- a full blown rebuild. Exactly. So I think that the I think Cohen really has to like put the fandom inside and be and think like an owner, think like a man who's running a business, and get a good GM in here, whoever that may be, mm-hmm. and and they they have to they have to fix this team. They really do. The job done. But again, it's just you can't be afraid to spend. Last year they were afraid to spend money on George Springer. You know, they were off by $25 million, which was the equivalent of $5 million a year. Okay? They did not handle that well. Now, Nimmo did a great job in center field. Don't get me wrong. Okay? Mm-hmm. I was very impressed with Brandon Nimmo, and I still am impressed with Brandon Nimmo. But imagine having George Springer in center and then putting Brandon Nimmo in left and Conforto in right. Yeah. Okay? And if the universal DH comes back, what are you going to do with that? You can't make Alonzo the DH. He doesn't deserve it. And quite frankly, he shouldn't be the DH. Alonzo's defense was very good this year. I don't know. I would never. I wouldn't take him out of the first base role. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, if you want to give him a day off once in a while in the field to make him a DH, sure. I'm okay with that. And listen, maybe getting Javi Baez will light a spark under Francisco Lindor. He seemed to hit a lot better when Baez was in the lineup. But I can't help but get it out of my head that the reason why these guys are getting scared off by the job is because Sandy's still too involved with operations. And no no legitimately good candidate for general manager is going to take that job knowing full well that decisions are still going to be made somewhat by Sandy Alderson. All right, before we get into our Jet stuff, let's get into uh, just very quickly on the baseball playoffs. Um, as you see below on our little ticker, the Dodgers have a 4-2 to two lead over the Braves in uh, game, five. game yeah. five. With the uh, Braves having a 3-1 to one lead. Um, Astros are one win away from going to the World Series uh, over Boston. Um, you know, look, what more can you say about the Astros? They just they – just, put it to another level. And I know people will never give them the credit that they deserve for this season. They're just going to label them cheaters and, you know, get over it, get over it. They've actually, Dusty Baker has put this team right on, on the, on a, right on the path. And this is without Lance McCullers, who's been their best pitcher. Yeah. That's the crazy part about Fran Bravalda was amazing yesterday. He was freaking lights out. And that's the one thing that's been bothering about the playoffs. I don't know if you noticed it, maybe not necessarily in the Boston series, Man, pitchers don't go deep in the games in the playoffs. They don't. Three innings, three and a third. I mean, that's all you saw the whole time. I mean, Sale pitched decent the other day until he gave up that big hit that pretty much opened the floodgates for Houston. Uh, right. But most of the pitchers haven't really been going too deep in the games, you know, at least from what I'm seeing. But- I just I just think people are, you know, afraid, and the second it, you know, they get rid of, or the second they give up a hit, like they're on a short leash, no matter who the pitcher is, you know, like 
they need to secure these games. And if that means, you know, throwing in your your closer into the inning, you know, something like that, maybe it, it, it might need to do it, you know, because they, they can't take any risks. It's God, God forbid you let up a home run in the, in the, a three run home run. And then you come back, they let up another home run. It, it, you can't, you can't risk it, them getting hot. It was like, remember that AL wild card game with the Yankees play with the twins and Girardi started Severino. Mm-hmm. Severino gave up four runs in the top of the first inning. And as soon as he gave up the fourth run, pulled him immediately. Pulled him. Exactly. I think. I, th- I think coaches are too afraid. You know, they they whether it's like they load the bases or whatnot. I think managers are just are just too afraid to to keep them on the mound. God forbid something gets into wrong. You know, I, if I can put in my ace my ace relief pitcher, then by all means, I'll put in him. Overall, though, the playoffs have been really good. Tampa Bay was a very disappointing exit that they got trounced by the Red Sox. Um, Tampa Bay is going to have to start – if they're going to make a playoff run, they have to start going after veterans. Whether at the trade deadline or whether in free agency, they have to start going after veterans. They should have been a little bit more active at the trade deadline, in my opinion. I was surprised they weren't, especially when Glasnow was lost for Tommy John surgery. Yeah, it was the best all-around pitcher. That and when they let Charlie Morton walk at the beginning of the year, because now he's pitching great for the Braves, yeah. which is exactly why they picked him up because they knew he's a great playoff pitcher. Yeah. And when they got and when they got they rid of Blake Snell, and they just resigned him too. Yeah, they never replaced Blake Snell. They never replaced Tyler Glass now to an extent. And Charlie Morton. That's the, they, were those, busy, those, they were too busy doing the whole bullpen by committee games and all that stuff. And, you know, I think it just caught up to them at the end of the day. That was it. But they were a good – I mean, listen, it was a nice run, but it was a very disappointing run. And I think at the this offseason, I know they're not going to spend a lot of money because they just don't have it apparently. But mm-hmm. you got to do something. You got to figure out a way to get quality veteran help on this team, especially in that rotation, because you can't always live and die by the bullpen by a committee game. It's just not going to work all the time. And Tampa's pitching was exposed to us to an extent. When you're relying on guys like Michael Waka and Chris Archer and all these other guys, you might get burned, and they got burned. That's the best way to describe it. But right now, you know. Houston is one win away. They announced their starter for tomorrow. I think it's Luis Garcia. I don't know who the Red Sox oh, The Red Sox are countering uh, with Evaldi. Right. And then, because it's a do or die game for the Red Sox. So, yeah, it really is. But that's where we are with that. So the postseason is that. By the way, one minor note before we get into this I just got sent an article that said that today was the boarding day for the Chris Jericho cruise. Ooh, oh, yeah, I heard about that. The wrestling crews? Yeah. Yeah, they're still stuck at port because of the COVID test. Well, I don't know if they've left yet, but apparently they had. They weren't leaving at all because the rapid tests weren't working and it was very inadequate. It was it was a huge mess. Well, speaking of, I know probably, I don't know if you, did you watch Crown Jewel today, speaking of wrestling? I didn't watch Crown Jewel Um I know there wasn't really anything major. Like, I know Xavier Woods won King of the Ring. The fact that Zelino Vega won the Queens thing is ridiculous. Well, they botched that whole thing on Saturday or Monday when they had Dewdrop beat Shayna. Like, what? But like, here's how... the problem. Okay. Let me, let me, I don't mean to cut you off. Okay. 
Here's the thing. If you have Dewdrop beat Shayna Baszler, okay, then you should be building Dewdrop to be your next big superstar, right? Exactly. So if she wins Queen of the Ring or whatever it's called, the Queen's Crown, whatever the hell it's called, that's a good thing. But you win it, you give it to somebody whose wrestling skills, with all due respect, are not that great. She's better off. She's a better manager than she is as a wrestler. Mm-hmm. What is Zelina Vega going to do with the Queen's Crown title or the 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 honor? What is she? Is she's not going to be women's champion? No, it's she's not like, going to take over I, and beat Becky or Sasha or Bianca Belair. Like WWE's booking is just so stupid. It's no, so it's, you're, no, you're absolutely right, and I can't wait to listen to the because they it came out today the recap for Crown Jewel for on Restaurant Wrestling, so I can't wait to listen to that. But it it made no sense because if you look at the bra- if you look at the torn the bracket tournament for the Queen's Crown uh, bracket, Zelina Vega Zelina Vega beat Tony Storm and Carmella to get into the finals. Dewdrop beat Natalia and Shayna Baszler. Like, but think clearly, about that. But like, think about how you you don't even real the WWE doesn't even realize that they've just ruined Dewdrop. You know why? Oh yeah, because she can't beat someone who's half her size. I think Dewdrop has taken dumps bigger than Zelina Vega. Okay. Not, not even, not even. They didn't only ruin Dewdrop. They ruined Shayna Baszler. Like Shayna Baszler was finally getting a little bit of a push. Showing that she's the dominant woman in the women's division, I'm like, okay, this is what we saw from Shayna when she was on NXT. But no, you have a lose lose to Dewdrop, and it's like the but fuck. But on top of that, Clem, you then you also ruined a wrestler like Tony Storm. Yep. You haven't even given her a chance to prove herself yet. She's jobbing to to Zelina Vega. I mean, come on, is he fucking Vince? Who prior to this this tournament, she was losing every match she was in on SmackDown. Like, are you kidding me? Like, it, it, this made absolutely no sense. But and that, actually, somebody, somebody told me this, too. I think it was Keith. He said that all of Roman Reigns' wins have been because the Usos have interfered. I'm not surprised. Not surprised at all. See, I thought where WWE dropped the ball was, number one, Roman Reigns should have already lost the title. <clears throat> I'm not a big fan of champions that have been there for two years and three-year champions. To me, it's bullshit. Okay? You're not willing to build up superstars. If you would have had Big E cash in on Roman Reigns and beat Roman Reigns, the pop in that arena would have been unprecedented. Big E would have been cemented as a superstar, an elite superstar. Mm -hmm. The WWE took the easy way out and had him cash in against Lashley. But it's like, you see what I mean? Like you don't see an opening and you don't know how to take it. You could no, have had Big E, cemented Big E as a legitimate main eventer. And you can't even do that because you want to give Roman Reigns everything. It's, Roman Reigns should have dropped the belt a long time ago. That's just I, 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 I'm not mad with Roman's run with the title, but I will say I think he should have lost it today to Brock Lesnar. See, I but think. they're not going to do it on Saudi soil. They're not gonna. That's a cash grab. Crown Jewel is nothing but a cash grab for WWE. They're gonna make millions of dollars off of it because it's Saudi Arabia. That's what's you know. Meanwhile, two years ago, remember their wrestlers were like locked in their hotel rooms and they thought they were gonna die because 
they they accused Vince McMahon of screwing over, screwing the Saudi people over with the crappy show. Oh my god, that was so funny. Remember that fade, the Twitter feed from Rusev, who literally thought he was he was like saying his goodbyes, like he was gonna die. So the funny thing is, is that this is a cash grab. So you're not gonna see not only you're not gonna see title changes or very few of them, but you're not gonna see good wrestling either. I, I I will I will say they'll save that I, for Survivor Series. I would no, I would I will say, Crown Jewel, not bad. It was actually pretty decent. I will. If say. that's the best thing you could say about it, then it's it's a meaningless paper. The, the only reason it was pretty decent is because the Mansoor Ali match sucked, the Zelina Vega Dewdrop match sucked, um. Brock Lesnar and Roman was it started out good, but then it turned into okay, Superman punch, Superman punch, suplex, F five, spear, that. It it was uh, the the women's triple threat was okay. The the only good thing about the art the tag match, the RK Bro versus AJ and Omos was uh that they wrote that they rode in on camels, so that was pretty fun. That was yeah, pretty funny. I haven't seen it yet, but I heard I heard it was pretty funny. That was funny, but again, even with the King of the Ring, like I'm happy Xavier Woods won, won and, and I'm happy that. But now you just buried a guy like Finn Balor, kind of, because how are you, how are we supposed to believe? We know Finn Balor is one of the top wrestlers, not just in WWE, but in all professional wrestling. And as much as I like Xavier Woods in the ring and out and on the mic, he's not better than Finn Balor. So you just had Dak him beat Finn Balor, and you could have rent so. You could have went in so many different directions with Balor as King of the Ring, but it was oh. it was okay. It was it was it was good. It, I, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't fantastic. It was it was in the right in the middle. All right, before we get out of here, I made a promise that I would do. Uh, we would talk about how former Jets are currently doing on new teams. So I pinpointed about five or six players right now. And like I said before, if you think that Joe Douglas is a bad general manager, then there's no hope for you guys whatsoever. There's no hope for Jet fans because, again, you know, they just don't see the forest for the trees. So, for example, Jamal Adams. Joe Douglas got two ones, a three, and Bradley McDougal for him. The first pick of the two ones was Elijah Vera Tucker. So that already is a huge win for Douglas, a huge win. Jamal Adams, as of right now, as of this year, he has no INTs in a year and a half with Seattle. And this year, he has no sacks after six games. And that was supposed to be a specialty, right, Clem? He's supposed to be rushing the passer. Mm -hmm. As a pass rusher, he has zero sacks. And here's the best part. He had a gift-wrapped INT in that game on Sunday night against Pittsburgh, and it hit him in the helmet. It hit him in the face mask because he couldn't catch it. It was literally right going right to him. There was nobody there. All he had to do was just catch it, and he was he would have had an interception. It bounced right off his face mask. Or the game against uh, – who did they play before where he got torched in coverage? Was it the Rams? Oh, um, wasn't it the Patriots? No, it was the, well. It was the Rams. Now I remember. It was the Rams. It was uh, when Robert Wood or Deshaun Jackson totally burned them on one play, and and Adams looks like he's loafing. But the, here's the key part: 
You tried to set him up as a pass rusher, and right now, through six games, he has no sacks. Okay? Now, I'm not going to go as far as saying he's a colossal bust, but you know what I love about this deal was the day it went down, Jamal Adams was being Jamal Adams. He was being Prez. Right, Clem? Right. On Instagram, he had a stupid sunglasses on, smoking a fat cigar, playing dominoes. He was so happy that he was, you know, gone from the Jets and everything. He got his wish. And look at him now. Yeah, he's got the money. He's got he's the highest paid safety in the league. But he sure as hell ain't playing like it. Nope. And one of those picks is Elijah Vera Tucker. And the best part about the deal is with Russell Wilson hurt, who knows where that pick is going to be in 2022. We could very well have a top 10, two top 10 picks. Oh, my God. The, 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 I, I watch Seahawks games now in enjoyment because I'm like, if they keep losing, we're going to be in the top 10. They could very well have two top 10 picks this year. And you're going to tell me that Joe Douglas is a bad general manager? So let's move on. Sam Darnold. Okay? Sam Darnold came out of the gate playing well. A couple of 100-yard, 300-yard games back-to-back. Since then, he's kind of tapered off a bit. You know why? He has about 1,500 passing yards. He has seven passing touchdowns. But he already has seven interceptions. I was going to say, you know why he's less than Zach Wilson. I say, you know why he's come down back down to earth, right? No Christian McCaffrey. Exactly. It's look, it's real easy to be the quarterback when you have the best player in the NFL on your team, but you take that out. And that's what my brother said. My brother went to the Jets Carolina game and he said he said McCaffrey bailed him out a bit in the second half. Like he got lucky in the second half because the Jets were playing much better than they were in the first half. Well, even like I said during that game. I remember we did the show right afterwards on on that Monday after. And I remember someone tweeted. It was just like, oh, yeah, we finally figured out what the, what Sam Donald's missing all those years with the Jets. Christian McCaffrey. And it's true because that's what he was doing. And look, again, it's real easy to be a quarterback when you have the best player in the NFL with Christian McCaffrey when he can get 1,000 yards running the ball and 1,000 yards receiving the ball. Exactly. And the thing is, look. Here's the worst part, though, Clem. It's he's got weapons, right? Yeah, he's got yeah. DJ Moore. He's got Robbie Anderson. He's got Chuba Hubbard, who's been pretty decent running the football. They drafted Terrace Marshall in the second round. They drafted Tommy Tremble in the fourth round. So it's not like he doesn't have weapons, but he hasn't really been playing well. He went 17 of 41 against the Vikings for 200 yards, and while he did lead them to a, a fourth, you know, a tie game touchdown. He did not play well in that game as a whole, and the Vikings came back and beat them anyway. So, by the way, Matt Rule, everybody had an erection about Matt Rule going 3-0? and Yeah, he's 3-3 and now. Slowly, slowly making his way into overrated territory. But the funniest part about Sam was I was reading The Athletic right after the week the games were over, and somebody wrote this. I forgot the reporter who wrote it for The Athletic, but he wrote that, you know, as Sam gets more comfortable in Joe Brady's offense, what do you mean? Why is he – Why he has to get comfortable now? He's not comfortable yet? You know, when he was throwing back-to-back 300-yard games, no one said anything about him being comfortable or not being comfortable in the offense. See what I mean, Clem? The excuses are yeah. coming out. The excuses are coming out. 
Now, the one thing I do like that they do with Sam is they run a lot of quarterback draws with him, yeah. especially in the red zone. He has five rushing touchdowns this year. So that's definitely a good part. But he's, he's back to being Sam with the interceptions, and he's overthrowing Robbie Anderson, which, by the way, leads me to Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson on Sunday had three catches for 11 yards. Three catches for 11 yards. He's so bad. And he had one touchdown that tied the game. But other than that, he was non-existent for the entire game. He has not had a game yet where he's had over five receptions. He has 18 on the season for 190 yards. And outside of one really long touchdown against an inexperienced Jets secondary, by the way, he has been non-existent. Non-existent. So all those people who went crazy about Robbie Anderson, and I said this, how many times did I say this on the show, Clint? I said, you keep seeing the same Robbie. I don't know what you guys are seeing. What am I missing? We went over the stats. Remember last year we went over all of his stats? He had like eight or nine weeks with like six for 36, seven for 50. He did exactly what he did with the Jets. There was nothing different about his game. His game hasn't changed, evolved or anything. Yeah, and that was even the problem when he was on the Jets. He was just so inconsistent. We couldn't keep him around anymore. So... Robbie is definitely off to a brutal start in Carolina. Terrible. Another another one. Again, now for Sam, remember, we have a two and a four. So next year, I was looking at the 2022 draft, like how many picks. The Jets have two ones, two twos, a three, two fours, two fives, and a six. Now imagine if they try to trade a guy like Jamison Crowder and wind up getting like another third. You can definitely get a third for Jamison Crowder. Imagine if you're going to trade Marcus May. What could you get for him? You could probably also get a third for him. I'm telling you, man. I definitely think those two guys are getting traded. I think they're going to, that's what's going to allow. That's just going to allow the Jets to put Elijah Moore back in the lineup. More. That's just going to allow them to give Ashton Davis more playing time. When you get rid of those guys, because they're, they're not part of the future anyway. So. Uh, Chris Herndon's another guy. He had one catch for two yards last week against the against the Panthers and scored a touchdown. The funniest part about that, Clem, that is his first reception of the season. <laughs> first reception of the season. And Douglas got a fourth-round pick for him. A fourth-round pick for a guy who only has one catch for two yards on the season. How can you not – how can you say that Joe Douglas is a bad general manager? No, he's absolutely not. He's so good. And last but not least, I'm going to give a little bit of props to Gino because I thought Gino played well against Pittsburgh under the circumstances. I thought he played well. The problem was he had a really, really crucial fumble at the worst possible time that led to the Steelers yeah. game. But outside of that, I thought he handled himself very well under the circumstances. I thought he played decent. You know, Gino got a bit of a raw deal with the Jets. I stand by that statement. You know, I definitely thought you saw flashes of his brilliance, but then you saw those turnovers that were just a bit much. Mm-hmm. Overall, I thought he was very – I thought he was very – he wasn't underrated or anything like that, but I thought he was – I just thought overall he got a raw deal. No, he did. And, you know, it was just unfortunate. You know, his time, his time had come with the Jets. You know, it was – you know, and then when you know you had the the magic of Fitz magic come over, everyone wanted 
Fitzpatrick to start the year afterwards. There was just there was just unfortunately no room for Geno on this team anymore. I mean, you feel bad for the guy because the guy was just trying to bust his butt and trying to play hard, you know. But it is what it is. But listen, he hopefully he play he does well for Seattle because I think he is a good he's a good valuable veteran, solid backup, solid backup at this point. I mean, but it, it is what it is. But I'm I'm happy for the guy. I hope I hope he does well. I really do. As for the other guys. I don't wish any ill will on Sam. I, I like Sam a lot, you know, but again, you understand now why Joe Douglas traded. You understand it more and more because you just see the same Sam traits and it frustrates you if you're a fan. You know, seven interceptions already through six games is not good. Mm-hmm. You know, and then again, the worst part about it is he's a fourth year quarterback. Yeah. So. But we'll see what happens as the season goes. We'll keep we'll keep visiting. Maybe we'll do this on a weekly basis. We'll just do a recap of how each former Jet did. I'm okay with that. Hopefully it'll make us feel better. So, All right, everybody. Look, that's going to do it for our debut episode on what's this platform called again, Clem? I'm sorry. StreamYard.com. StreamYard.com. That's going to do it for our debut on StreamYard.com. A very special thank you to the one and only Taylor Dahl for hanging out with us. You can check her out as co-host of the Helmets and Heels show. Every Tuesday night, 6 to 8 p.m. on 1010XL Jacksonville Radio. And uh, like we said, whenever we have we want to have fun at Urban Meyer's expense, Taylor Dahl is on our speed dial. So we really appreciate her coming on the show as always. Clem, thank you for holding it down like you normally do. This has been a pretty fun website. Thank for the people who chimed in today. That was, you know, we got two responses, so we're really we appreciate it. I know it's not a much, but it's something to definitely build on, including with somebody from the UK. Yeah, we're international. Although, us. crazy thing is, it's like 2 in the morning there. So, yeah, That guy must be bored. But, hey, I'll but, take it. I'll take it. <laughs> but, hey, we really appreciate everybody watching the show and checking us out. We're going to be doing more shows on StreamYard. So definitely check it out. We'll be back next Thursday night right here on StreamYard.com. Uh, this is also available on YouTube. It's available on Twitch. It's available on Facebook. And it's also will be available as a podcast, courtesy of Apple Podcasts. Like and subscribe and leave us a five-star review because it makes us feel oh so special at the end of the day. On behalf of Clem, this is Craig. This has been the Moffat on the Mic Show, wherever you are. Stay safe. Enjoy the week. Enjoy the weekend. And um, that's it. So, again, everybody, have a great weekend, everybody. We will see you next Thursday night right here at 8 o'clock. Yeah. All right. It's your network. You tell me. Your show. You tell me. (laughs) All right. 8 o'clock next Thursday night right here on StreamYard.com, courtesy of the A1 Sports Network. Have a great week, everybody. See you next Thursday.